Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that has been working on this episode for 13 years, it's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Saturday mornings are available to download later in your podcast feed, unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Jexoli. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and I see him. No, no, literally, he's right there. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hi, I see you, Aaron. Uh, each week, we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. His good friend Lincoln is mighty proud of him. It's John Paula, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, hello. How are you? Excited to talk about the other movie, not the Will one, <laughs> not the Will Smith one. You can be excited to talk about both. It doesn't matter how you I, feel I about them. I specifically requested, Aaron, when we get to Emancipation, please, I need to be on that episode. That's, <laughs> That's the one right. I've waited over a decade of my adult life to watch. It's been 84 years. <laughs> That's the one. Jonathan Paula, how's it going, man? Uh, it is going well. Uh, you caught me at the end of a very busy week, so uh, Avatar The Way of Water was my personal little treat to myself. I just told mm. the wife and kids, like, mm. i got to leave for seven hours. <laughs> Yes. Because the time it takes to drive a state away to the nearest IMAX laser theater in my area and to watch this three and a half hour epic and then come back. It's like, well, I'll see you girls tomorrow morning, but <laughs> daddy daddy needs his time on Pandora. And I'm glad I'm glad I took the trip. I need my daddy Dora day. I, uh, I don't uh, I don't have a lot of vices. Uh driving seventy miles to an IMAX, I think, is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Uh, we will talk about all of that in our review of Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, a lot of people forgetting the article in the title, uh, Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, we will do a review of that and uh, talk about all that. We'll talk about Emancipation, which is the new Will Smith uh, movie on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, we've got a best ever challenge of blue people movies. It was a little tricky to put together. Not gonna lie, not a lot. I mean, it's one of those. It's one of those. We'll talk about this more later. But it's one of those topics you can kind of stretch it. You don't have to. You can. You know. You just kind of make it what you what you want it to be. (laughs) I Um, never took blue as depressed or sorrowful. (laughs) No, 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 no. no. That would be that would be that would be stretching it beyond its intent. uh, I believe. Um, But the people part. I wonder if I wasn't clear enough on that. We'll get there. We'll I, get there. I, I, I took it that to mean that I could pick um, some of our favorite Pixar characters. Correct. So. Yeah. Yes. Any sentient person, like personhood, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. is what yeah. I mean by people. Uh, so, yes, that is correct. And then we'll do some buried treasure as well. <laughs> all my picks are the Blue Man Group. I was so limited in my <laughs> was, options. That's all I had. That was all I had. Uh, we've got a lot, lot to talk about with James Cameron coming back after 13 years. So let's not wait any longer. Let's talk about Avatar, The Way of Water. We cannot let you bring your war here. Outcast. That's all they see. I see you. The Way of Water connects all things. 
before your birth and after your death. This is our home! I need you with me. And I need you to be strong. Set more than a decade after the events of the first film, because it came out more than a decade after the first film, uh, we learn the story of the Sully family, Jake, Natiri, and their kids, the trouble that follows them, the lengths they go to keep each other safe, the battles they fight to stay alive, and the tragedies they endure. Uh, James Cameron has actually released an Avatar sequel. It actually happened. It is in theaters. You can see it. It is Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, I am so curious what you guys think. It has been 13 years since Avatar blew up movie theaters and just absolutely broke all the records. And James Cameron has been talking about this. He's brought back many of the old cast, added some new. Kate Winslet's in there uh, voicing a character. I, I didn't realize that until the end. I, I remember reading about Kate signing on to this, and I had completely forgotten it by the time I got to my seat. And then at the end of the movie, and I saw the credits, I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I was like, I guess she only could have been this character. So mm-hmm. I was sort of retroactively uh, recontextualizing her performance. And I was like, oh, yeah, it was nice to hear her again. It is, I didn't, it I didn't is really the, see it. It is one of those movies where the performances are both vocal and mocap for yeah. a lot of them. Uh, so you do get a sense of people, but it isn't like you come away going, oh, yeah, that was obviously Kate Winslet. In fact, a lot of people I know didn't realize that was Kate. Yeah. Um, Michelle Yeoh. Or Sigourney Weaver, I, I you know, clued in immediately. Yes, yes. Sigourney Weaver playing a 14-year-old version of herself, uh, which imagine doing that in your 70s. Uh, so, yeah, lots of, lots of fun. Very unique things. experience, I'm sure. Yeah. So what did you guys think? Uh, let's get to the brass tacks. Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Andrew, we're kicking it off with you. Low side of okay. Low side of okay for close Andrew. Close to not liking it. Uh, John, what about you? I really loved it. I'm not going to Re- lie. Really loved it. Yeah, uh, I, I think I, I could potentially – I'm interested to hear Andrew's perspective because I could potentially be – pulled down off the high horse, as it were. Well, um, had- but initial experience was – I, I liked this and enjoyed it and loved it as much as the original, and that was one of my favorite movies of that year, of that decade. Uh, there's something about just escapist, you know, big-budget filmmaking like Cameron's that I always connect with, um, even though it's, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. But, yeah, even if it's, you know, shallow and derivative, you know, narratively, I don't know. I just buy into it. Uh, Aaron, before we, Aaron, before we get to you, I just have sure. one quick question for everybody. Uh, how did you see it? And then you can kind of that's, add that that's to your where I was going to start after I liked it, loved oh, it. I was yeah. going to start with that that conversation. Okay, well, Aaron, go ahead then. Uh, I will not be talked down. I love this <laughs> to the moons of Pandora and back. Uh, My man. Th- this movie is astonishing on every level. It's better than the original on almost every level. Uh, it is absolute primo big time cinema filmmaking go to the theater sit in your movie seat, with a capital be M. blown yeah. away movie with a capital movie uh it is <laughs> absolutely astonishing work by james cameron here uh, Thank you, as David. i won't be talked down i'm kind of being exaggerative there i am very interested i've heard a few of the negative takes on it uh i haven't heard any that i agree with at all but i have heard them and i'm excited to hear andrew what kind of put you off on the on the movie for sure but this is just, listen this is 
why I go to movies. Like this, 100%. Is, this is why I fell in love with storytelling in this format because of the ability to tell stories in big, interesting, spectacular ways. Uh, before we get further into it, though, I did want to ask, as Andrew mentioned, how you saw it, because that is part of the deal with uh, this. We know James Cameron is very much a uh, a person who loves technology, loves what it can do for his craft. Uh, it has always been that way. And uh, the in this case, we're dealing with variable frame rate uh, on this movie, which basically means some scenes are at 24 frames per second, like a normal movie. Some scenes are at 48 frames per second, which is a high frame rate which causes a different effect, right? When you have twice as much visual information, it causes uh, a, a clarity, a smoothness during the action, brighter 3D uh, when you're in the higher frame rate. And actually, I've, heard, I've heard someone refer to it as, it, it sometimes looks like the motion smoothing effect on a brand new TV. Well, it this is what the motion smoothing effect is trying to accomplish, right. but often failing because it's making stuff up. Right? right. This is the difference between an algorithm saying, oh, I think that's what would go here and the computer saying, no, this is actually the movement. This is the actual captured movement of what goes here. Um, so but because we are only used to seeing that many frames per second in a false environment, then that kind of psychologically can make us think, oh, soap opera effect, those kind of things. Um, so I am curious uh, if you saw it in high frame rate, if you saw it in a big format screen, you know, where did you watch this? And then we'll even talk a little bit about just the technology part before we get into uh, the movie itself. But uh, John, start us off. How did you see this? Yeah, so as I, I alluded to earlier, I drove 70-something miles uh, to the furniture store in Massachusetts with the biggest IMAX laser screen in New England, as they love to brag about. Um, and it was in high frame rate 3D on a 100-foot screen, 4K IMAX laser. It is like the, I think, the way to do it, right? The biggest possible screen you can find in 3D, of course. The high frame rate is the one aspect that I'm sort of on the fence about because there's moments of it, moments, not all of them, but periodically where my brain is tricked and I'm like, oh, shoot, this is this is right in front of me. I'm looking mm -hmm. at something that is legitimately 20 feet from my face. And when that happens, when you when your brain is fooled into seeing the dimensionality and the frame rate as authentic, that's the absolute best experience. And when it clicks, it's like, whoa. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times uh, it felt like I was watching like uh, uh, just in reference to the high frame rate, like it was a little too... I don't know. There was something about the motion that felt a little unnatural. Again, I'm not familiar with it. I've seen 5,000 movies and only like three of them in HFR. Um, so it felt a little uh, uh, distracting at times. And I'd be really curious uh, when and if I see it a second time uh, just in the traditional 24 frames and see how that experience matches. Because I think I might like it more if, it, if I wasn't distracted by the, the, the frame rate stuff. Andrew, where did you see it? How did you feel about the high frame rate stuff? Was it high frame rate uh, where you were at? I accidentally got a ticket for IMAX. I mean, not IMAX, but a 3D on a regular screen. Okay. It, I, if I'm not going to see like a laser IMAX, anything like that, I don't like to bother with 3D. I think it actually detracts mm -hmm. from the viewing, viewing experience because it's way too dark. Everything's much darker on a regular screen. And I have a feeling that that really impacted my viewing viewing experience a lot because not being able to appreciate and enjoy the visuals for what they are really makes me 
you know, uh, focus on the story. Mm-hmm. And the story sucks, but we'll the story's get there. amazing. We'll get there. Uh, so, <laughs> so yes. Uh, so I don't think it would. So it probably wasn't high frame rate then either. I'm guessing probably cause, not because high frame rate would have been brighter on a 3D screen, even if it's a regular screen. It would have it would have looked really bright and clear uh, in high frame rate. And I will say the technology also. The entire movie is actually high frame rate, if I'm understanding correctly, and and I might not be, but I have looked at this quite a bit. My understanding as well. The entire movie is high frame rate. If you see it in high frame rate, it it just doubles frames in the 24 frames section, which I that, believe are the the more narrative dialogue sequences, and then correct. all the action, pretty much the entire back half of the film, is is in true 48. So here's here's uh, I'll go ahead and give you my experience. So yeah. I saw this at a press screening in New York City uh, at uh, um, an AMC there, one of the Dolby theaters. Uh, the Dolby theaters are always always going to be high frame rate. They just they they are the you know the um, top of the line projectors. So if you have a Dolby theater near you, see it in 3D at a Dolby theater. That's going to be your your highest experience. IMAX is kind of a dice roll as to whether or not you'll even get the the variable frame rate uh, because not all IMAX uh, projectors can do the uh, variable frame rate and the 4K projection. Um, you'll have to kind of research that based on your, your own IMAX. Most of the IMAX lasers are going to be able to do it, um, but I don't know that that necessarily means that they are. So you may have to do some research. Re- Research if you want to watch it in IMAX. Yeah, I um, IMAX. I tried researching. I was like, well, I'm going to go to to Jordan's Furniture in Massachusetts, and I did some googling, and I couldn't find any evidence. And I was like, well, it either is or it isn't. I don't really care. It's like the third on my list of mm-hmm. considerations when picking a screen. So, so I'm just going to go. And then you know, as soon as it started, I was like, oh, okay, it's high frame rate. I can tell, <laughs> yeah, I can tell immediately. I can, tell. I can see. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, okay, cool, because I, I really wanted to try that experience again. I thought with The Hobbit, whatever it was, nine, ten years ago, that was interesting and i wanted poorly more of executed it. but interesting right. it, it was interesting yeah. and, and there was again similarly there was a few moments where i was like oh that looks incredibly realistic and i knew that uh not to throw shade at peter jackson but in the hands of someone more technically competent like james cameron like if anyone can pull off high frame rate it would be him he's he's pioneering entire technologies mocap underwater like how do you even do that light refracts how do you track motion underwater <laughs> when the water is constantly moving like they invented entire technologies for this film yeah That's what he it's, does it's wild. every time yeah it's insane it's insane um so so yes uh my experience with it is and i i've been a proponent of hfr i think it is primarily a psychological hurdle i think it is primarily one of those things that because everything we watch is in 24 frames per second or lower maybe 30 a lot of tvs at 30 but that's not going to be too much of a difference uh, we are so used to it, and even more now than ever with with all the Zoom calls we do and the conferencing we do, we are more used to ever how motion looks at 24 frames per second. So it has become the visual language of our brain for cinematic storytelling uh, or visual storytelling. So is your is your argument that if we had grown up with high frame rate and uh, if all the movies we've seen were in that, this would feel fine? No doubt. No I remember, doubt. I remember you said after you watched Gemini Man, then it messed up your ability to watch yes. movies. So, uh, this, did you have a similar effect here? 
So the, the effect here is completely different, and I'll talk about why here in a second. But Gemini Man is in high frame rate the entire movie uh, for the action action scenes and uh, dialogue, everything. And Hobbit was as well. Hobbit is poorly executed for several reasons. Number one, it didn't take into account how costuming, makeuping, those kind of things should be a little bit different at a high frame rate. Um, it didn't take into account how you shoot something at high frame rate a little bit differently to capture the motion differently. Um, and then the just the natural psychological part of it as well, of people seeing high frame rate for the first time. Uh, as far as Gemini Man, watching that it blew my mind. The action in that movie is so cool in high frame rate. Uh, when I watch it at home, I watch it in high frame rate. You can do that on a nice television if you've got a 60 uh, megahertz or uh, more uh, TV, you can do that. Um, but watching other movies after that movie for <laughs> a long time was like, Spoiled it. why is everything so slow? Like, why does everything look so blurry? And that's so weird when you're when you're looking at 4K digital images and going, why are they blurry? They're not blurry. <laughs> you're just not seeing as much visual information. So your experience with Avatar, if I cut you off quickly, mm -hmm. um, I periodically kind of fell into the, wow, this is real. Periodically. There were other moments where I was like, this is a little distracting. I would maybe prefer to see it in rather 24 frames. For you, was it just the entire show, three and a half hours, three hours, 12 minutes, whatever it is, you were, you were in it and you didn't get distracted by it? No. And okay. I will tell you what distracted me. The 24 frames per second distracted mm. me. I, every once in a while, and quite a bit through this movie, especially during the dialogue, goes back to 24 frames per second, and I'm like, why did I, why did I lose my beautiful world? Like, why? Like, I understand they're just talking, and I know, I know why he does variable frame rate because of the psychological impact. That psychological impact is so much more extreme when it when when it's not action scenes. When you're just watching two characters talk at a high frame rate, psychologically, it looks weird to most people my argument is either make the jump or don't give people yeah. the and i've actually heard other people talk about this as well because what happens i think i've, I've mentioned this metaphor before it's kind of like shakespeare right if you're watching a shakespeare play or movie or whatever it takes about five minutes and then all of a sudden you're into the shakespearean link like you just the shakespearean language just works after about five minutes of sounding like people talking funny you know what i mean it's the same with high frame rate for me and for many others, which is it takes about five to ten minutes of going, whoa, adjust, adjust. And then it's like, boom, you're in it. And I think what you're experiencing, John, when you say, oh, I was in it and then I was distracted was it took you you know, a couple minutes of high frame rate. Your brain would adjust and you go, oh, this looks normal, natural, completely. Then maybe it would flip back to 24 frames, and then you'd have to go through that process again when it went back to high frame rate. Like That's this, entirely possible, yeah. There, there's this distraction thing that can happen when you're going back and forth. Do I think going back and forth is, is uh, bad? Not necessarily. There are movies that use sound and color and all sorts of other things in different ways throughout the movie. It's just how you use it, and and I think for the most part, Cameron manages for it to be as little of a distraction as possible. But for me, I was very aware of when this movie uh, cut the frames in half. Do you and suspect that he will maintain the variable concept for the sequels, or do you think he'll just finally go, let's just it, do the entire thing at 48? I think I think he'll keep doing variable frame rate. I think he uh. – he, he, 
he believes in actually probably rightly so, by the way, that the reaction to a full high frame rate movie would be similar to what happened with the Hobbit. Um, We're just not there. We're close. It's probably often a generational thing too. A lot of, uh, you know, the next generations are used to gaming at 60 frames per second or more. So like they're, they're used to seeing that, but also then there's the psychological effect of, I feel like I'm watching a cutscene, right? Because Uh you've got the gaming thing in your mind that feels clearer and smoother and and so, you know, uh, as opposed to motion smoothing, some people are saying it looks like a video game. Well, that's because we're used to video games uh, operating at a higher frame. The rate. fact that there's almost no human characters in the movie uh, doesn't help that argument Also either. correct. Also <laughs> correct. Well, let's, let's talk about the movie. I feel like we've been in the weeds on the tech side of things. It's uh, where I love to be. I That's me. Yeah. I apologize. I love talking no, about that stuff. it's an interesting discussion. I, I really think high frame rate is the future of, like, getting people to enjoy movies in a different way. I think it is. High frame rate 3D specifically, I do believe, is the next, you know, uh, silent to sound, black and white to color. I really do think it is the next advancement in story to visual storytelling. But, um but James Cameron is pushing it here. All right, yeah, let's talk about uh, the movie part, not the technology part, uh, which, of course, the visuals do impact the the movie part and whether or not they work for you or not. Um, and as Andrew was mentioning, uh, mentioning that part of part of his experience was watching in 3D on not high frame rate, so it was a little bit dark and not able to, to see everything maybe as clearly as we did. Um, I'm just going to chuck up all of his criticisms for the next half hour. To, well, you saw <laughs> it on right. the wrong screen. Right. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't your, count. Your, your opinions uh, are all because you did that. No, no. Uh, so I will start because I'm over the, the moon for this movie. And just say I think what I love most about this movie is the actual storytelling. Um, It is not the visuals. The visuals make the movie uh, really fun to look at, spectacular, but it is only a piece of the puzzle. And the way Cameron, like almost immediately, puts us in a world of a family, builds this family through admittedly 20 minutes of exposition, Right, but it's you know uh, interesting story exposition, um, and all of a sudden we have an entire new group of people we understand, we know, we love, and we're interested in. What I was most blown away by by the end of this movie, and, and by the way, we will do even if it's just short uh, a sif spoil on this one because I do have a couple things I want to talk about with where this story goes because I think it's so interesting. Because he adds this entire family, which consists of Jake and Natiri and their kids, including um, a couple kids who are kind of half adopted. Uh, Spider is a a human who was left behind, uh, who is kind of an adopted part of the family. And then the mystery of the Sigourney Weaver character, uh, Kiri, uh, I believe, is, is her name and where she came from. Somehow she is... Sigourney Weaver's child, but we don't know who the father is. You know, a lot of and uh, born of her avatar, which yeah. was dead at the end of the last movie. It's right, that's a so, bit of like a, a, a immaculate conception. Yes, kind it's of a, a messianic thing. kind of thing going on here that extends beyond. By the way, just the the status of her birth it extends to how she interacts in the world. There's clearly something spiritual and special. And they're definitely going to do something with that in the in the follow-up. Correct. So this is where I'm going. So you've got you've got Jake and Sully, the two adopted kids, and their uh, three children that they've had. 
And so you've immediately got this group of seven, this pod of seven. And the way the movie gives time to the relationship between each of those seven is kind of mind-blowing that we're able to figure out what each of them mean to each other, what their dynamics are, how their sibling dynamics work, all of those things. And so many of them, maybe not all of them, but so many of them pay dividends as we get to the end of the movie. So many of them become really important to how we're viewing these people, what they're going through. I was supremely invested. The story made choices that... One thing I hear as a knock on Cameron a lot of times is that he 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 doesn't think in creative terms with story. He thinks in tropey terms with story. And this movie made a very specific choice at the end that I thought was brilliant. And the whole... In fact, there's... A, and we'll talk about it in spoilers. There's a moment about... 20 minutes from the end where I was like, oh no, please not this. Please, please don't do this. Every movie does this thing. It's old. It's tropey. If, if you manage not to do this thing that you're, you're setting up right now, even just hold it for the next movie. Like maybe it happens in the next movie. Okay, fine, whatever, but just don't do it. And he didn't do it. He didn't go there. In fact, he went almost the opposite direction as what a movie would usually do. And I know I'm talking around it because I don't want to do spoilers. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I follow what you're saying. but I have, a, I have an idea that it has to do with the, the choice of a son. Is that what it is? Um, tangentially. Tangentially. Okay. I, listen, I only make the point to say this. If you want the specifics and you've seen the movie, listen to the Sip Spoil. I'll tell you there. I only say it to say... Cameron is making bold choices here, and honestly, it may not be Cameron because he didn't write this all himself. He pulled together some of the best sci-fi writers uh, to write with him. This was a writing team that kind of did a lot of this plot. Reportedly, they spent four years on it, writing so, all four sequels. And I and I can feel it. I can feel it in the intricacy and in the way that it plays with these relationships. So a- I, Andrew is vigorously shaking his head. <laughs> I, I want to hear from you next. I, I Aaron and I love it. Uh, I, I pretty much agree across the board, Aaron, with um, all the stuff you laid out. I think it it um, not to talk in your place after inviting you to Andrew, but I feel like it might hit harder uh, for parents because this movie. Uh, the 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 narrative perspective really shifts into Jake and uh, Natiri as, as parents, and there's a lot of that baked into the screenplay this time around. It's less about warriors and fighting, and it's a lot about like protecting and taking care of your own. And I feel like having now with two kids of my own since the last Avatar came out, you know, I have my own family. I feel like a lot of those moments uh, I can relate to more strongly. And Andrew, you're, you're the one kidless on the, on the show here today. How did that perspective inform, uh, you know, your opinion on the film? Before you answer, before you answer that specific question, Andrew, I do just want to say that, that the emotion of it is, I, I think tied to my parenting. Like I would agree with you there. Like there's a lot of emotion, like I was bawling a couple times during this movie. I think the emotions and themes work beautifully. Um, at least did on me. And maybe that is a tie. Maybe it's because, you know, um, I'm raising four children. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Go Andrew. What do you, what do you think about that? What's your answer to that question? I think, uh, before I get into the specifics of, you know, parental, you know, uh, kin kinship or lack thereof. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say that I think that this movie feels so much like a, bad morning soap opera like days of our lives or something like that like it's it's melodrama she, you think it was melodramatic a little bit yeah like uh 
oh, I thought you died. Oh, you know, I... It's, like, some of the tropes that, like, in the first 15 minutes, whenever they're doing that uh, that exposition dump on you, mm-hmm. you know, like, where everybody is or how people come back and stuff like that. I'm like, man, this is just right out of a morning soap opera. Um, as for the... Uh, the the parental kinship and everything like that. I really thought this movie wasn't even about Jake or Natiri. I think this movie was about the kids. Mm-hmm. So oh, it's yes, yeah. So even if I don't, you know, have kids or anything like that, I can still feel you know emotion and you know passion and love from characters and. I know what it's like to have kids. I have dogs, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, my, my comment was not to suggest you're a sociopath, unfeeling and unable to feel empathy. Uh, just that I think Aaron and I probably connected a little deeper because we're recognize we're recognizing relationships we have. Well, I think, and that's what it is. It's representation, right? And I don't I don't mean to to steal a word that is rightfully used uh, usually for cultural representation or racial representation uh, or gender representation. I understand that those are are. Uh, important and valuable and on a greater level probably even than this, but it's the same concept, right? The same idea that when you see yourself on screen, that there is uh, this ability to connect in a more interesting, in a deeper way. And you are absolutely right. The story is uh, about the kids, but it's primarily about the kids through the eyes of, you know, their parents and kind of how, and maybe that's my perspective. Maybe that's my, uh, maybe I'm putting that on top of it, but I was, you know, so much of the stuff that the kids are doing and going through, I relate to, I relate to my own children in the way that they interact and the, who, who among us hasn't had their kid run off and go talk to a whale. I mean, right. it happens listen, all listen, the time all with the my time. oldest. All the time. Yeah, right around eight or nine. It's like, they're (laughs) off with the whale again. Ah, jeez. Andrew, did you want to keep talking about the soap opera nature kind of thing with it? Because that's a little different than that's tropes and derivativeness. And I know James Cameron has gotten that uh, that flack a lot lot before. Um, That's not necessarily story although it plays into it um Mm. but but yeah and and so so are you are you then saying right from the beginning you were like uh oh this is sappy melodrama soap opera stuff like i'm just not buying in yeah especially with the main villain i think a lot of it comes down to the main villain of the movie and uh kind of what they did with sigourney weaver's character and stuff like that where it just felt like Oh yeah, all those characters that I love from the first movie, instead of you know having you know meaningful deaths, yeah, meaningful deaths, you know, it's it tarnishes everything and it makes sacrifices and stuff like that uh, hit less hard and it it felt a bit like it It felt a bit like um, Oscar Isaac's line in in Rise Rise of Skywalker, right? Somehow. Stephen Lang returned. <laughs> and it's just, it's a little silly. Uh, and, and the movie spends so much of like the first 40 minutes just sort of breathlessly undoing things and doing a narrative reset so we can get back to where we want to be, which is out on the ocean reefs. And I think once the movie gets there, and if you're still in, like absolutely phenomenal back two hours. But that first 40 minutes or so, 
I feel like if you if you're not into the lore, if you're not into Pandora and the and the Navi and the Omotakai clan, then the first forty minutes of this are gonna be like, well, great. Here's more of that. We're like retreading things. We're undoing things. We're we're doubling down on other things and showing them to you again. And uh, that stuff I enjoyed, but I definitely felt like the movie really kind of found its legs once they got out to the ocean. All right, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a bit of a defense, and I might be in the m- minority on this, both on this show and in general. I don't think this movie undoes anything. I think this I think the storytelling here is a brilliant way to bring back characters. It's certain I I the one I'll closest to give you is the um uh I'm sorry, I just forgot the 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 Stephen Lang stuff, the the Quaritch stuff. Yeah. Uh that's that's the closest to undoing something, but even that is really smart how they bring that about. I I, I will say that I if so. there there's a there's a quick moment of Stephen Lang as a human in this uh that's sort of like a a, a basically an in-universe flashback that explains how he returns. And I feel like if that was a scene Included in part one that very clearly sets up like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. by the way, there's a possibility. Oh, it's he retconned. Could re- Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a total retcon. And I feel like not- if that was included originally, I wouldn't have as much problem with him. Like, oh, okay, it was it was planned. But there's a different when you say it undoes stuff. I think of Wonder Woman 1984. That's what I think of. That actually brings a character back. I feel this, the exact same way about this as 1984. It's com- but it's completely different. I don't think it none is. none of these characters are brought back. Not a single character is brought back. The person that we are watching, the movie takes great pains to not only talk yeah. about, but also use in the story as a different person. There are, there are reasons story-based reasons that it matters that it's not the same person. Yeah, that and I actually me. really enjoyed that stuff. Yeah. So like the, so to me that's a completely different especially the Sigourney Weaver stuff. That is a completely different person. That is not Sigourney Weaver. The okay, the, so char- the same character. I will say that yes, the Sigourney Weaver one didn't bother me as much. The Sigourney Weaver character was more along the lines of not cheesy hokey lazy couldn't come up with a new villain or character kind of like the Stephen lang it felt um, like james wanted to cast sigourney again he's like well i can kind of you can you can play this role and it'll kind of tie into grace augustine from the first movie and if it doesn't like uh, it's still we still we still want never, you back in the story i never once felt like this uh the jane augustine character and uh, I for, I'm sorry, I don't have her name pulled up here. The name of the Sigourney Weaver character in this movie is it Kiri? Yeah, I think it's Kiri. Uh, I never got that they were the same person. Like this, this Kiri character felt like a genuinely unique character. So my yeah. only beef is that they're. It felt like they were just rehashing so they could get Sigourney Weaver back. But beyond that, it felt like a a, a new character. Stephen Lang's character as the Colonel. That one is just. Pure like soap opera y like uh, opening the door and you know the, the long lost husband is standing on your doorstep. How did you survive? Well, you know, thanks to my father's doctors, I was able to make it through. It, it just felt so cheesy and corny and unimaginative. And I think that's my biggest issue is the unimaginative nature of it all. Whenever you're dealing with Pandora. And the Avatar series is 
and by the way, I know there are people who don't like the original Avatar movie. I gotta let you guys know, I love the original Avatar that's so actually, much. Thank you for reminding. Yeah, I, I knew context. you did. That's good context. That actually is great context. Um, I also loved it. I've been we a, all do. I think all three of us are big proponents. I, of, I, I've been yeah, a huge defender of this for over, a, and it's kind of yeah. exhausting. Everyone's like, well, you yeah, know, no cultural <laughs> impact. I'm like, it changed 3D <laughs> movie making for a decade. It made a lot of impact. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I love it. I, I used to rewatch it every year, like the first five years after it came out. Uh, so I was excited to go back. And while I agree with, I think with both of you, really, that there are aspects of Stephen Lang's return that feel kind of like a, a really shameless retcon. And it's like, okay, this, but at the same time, narratively, they make use of that. And they put uh, the new version of Stephen Lang in a context that really feeds into like, what does it mean to be a new version of an old person? And that's a really good science fiction story explored pretty well here in an environment and in a world that can afford us, yeah, you can probably like switch bodies and switch brains because we know you can do that in this universe. It's already been established. So the sci-fi world building that makes that character's resurrection possible, I was okay with it, even if from a, a filmmaking standpoint, I was like, right, this this feels like a lazy retcon because we really wanted Stephen Lang back for no other reason, right? Um, so so I'm, I'm, I'm in it. And I, I think- once, once I kind of got over that hurdle, I was fine. I, and, and I think there is an, by the way, I, I, I don't know that I even need to say, I, I vehemently disagree with a lot of what you've said, but the, the element of let's get Stephen Lang back. How do we do that? If you start there, I think it's very easy to go, oh, why just make a new bad guy, make a new villain. But if you, if you start with, okay, if we want Stephen Lang back, how do we do this in the most creative, most interesting? I think it's brilliant what they do. It has nothing. It looks nothing like how you described it there. Because again, that is a cheap, same person. We just wanted him back on the show kind of thing. This literally takes the concept of this person and creates them in an entirely new context story-wise and allows them to interact completely differently with the characters. This this Stephen Lang, who the courts that Stephen Lang played in the first movie and the courts she plays in the second movie are so different and they're different for story reasons. And that means something to me. That's a big deal to me. I've never disagreed with you over something so much, I don't think. I was going to say, I love, I love when we disagree. This is yeah, great. This is fascinating. <laughs> um, do you, well, so let, let me ask you, do, you, do you completely disagree that it's a different context? Yes, 100%. How? That's, that's, that is legitimately story. That, that's not even questionable. That is not opinion. Here's that how, is literally story out there in the story. Here's how talk, I'll explain talk. it to you for me, is going back to the comparison of 1984. That yeah. was just a uh, uh, was that Greta Gerwitch too? Who did that one as well? I forget. I'm sorry, did I Greta, missed the question. Did, did Greta Gerwitch also do? No, that was Patty, Patty, was Patty Jenkins. Right? Patty Jenkins. Yeah. That's what I meant. Sorry, it's it's so early in the morning. Um, no, but <laughs> it is uh, for Patty Jenkins, um, what she did with the Chris Pine character in that s- sort of felt like she was just. Waving her hand like oh, literally it's, it's, it's magic. back into existence. It's magic, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just magic. 
In this, it felt like James Cameron was going, uh, it's technology. No, it's literally technology. no. That is no, literally incorrect. I can't disagree no, with Andrew, you more. No, Andrew, this is not a disagreement on opinion. That is literally incorrect. <laughs> he did not wish this character back to an, into existence. Using existing technology already established in the universe, he created a different version of this person that it's is played not. by the same actor. That is not wishing somebody to an ex- into existence. It's actually using your characters in smart ways to create new relationships, new worlds, new stories, and new interactions. It's completely different. I, I think it's the exact same. I, I, I Literally, it is not the same. <laughs> Nobody in this movie goes, I wish Quaritch was okay. back. Oh, he's back. I'm going more along the lines of... How Patty Jenkins just f- waved her hand and goes, it's magic. I if, think if James I, if Cameron. If I can interject, let, let me play referee for a minute. Uh, Aaron, you're right on the logic aspect of this, right? Like, it, concretely, it is a different character. But I think what Andrew's trying to hint at is the way Stephen Lang portrays both is identical. See, is this not. villain. It is this, not. This villain is like just as over the top cartoonishly (laughs) villain. He's a mustache twirling villain the same way he was before. Not the whole movie. Oh, not the whole movie. And no, listen to me. Listen (sighs) to me closely. Because what is being set up here, and this is one of my favorite parts of the movie, and maybe this can broaden our conversation a little bit. One of my favorite parts of the movie is how this movie does everything Dune Part One does. By creating this new, these new relationships and characters that you can't wait to see how they're like going to resolve down the road, but is also an incredible movie on its own, which Doom Part One was not able to do. And part of the core and, and the Quaritch thing, I'm telling you, is going to it's going. I believe is going to blow our minds when we see what Cameron has in store for this character, because he has set up some really smart relational things with the way this this character relates to several of the different characters in this yeah. movie. There are so it blows my mind how many things in this movie are unresolved and yet how resolved I feel like this movie is. Well, that's like, a great way to put it, and I agree. It's it's in, I, I that is the magic trick of this movie. The main magic trick of this movie beyond the technology for me is how this movie is both at the same time, oh, how is this relationship going to resolve? How is this thing going to resolve? How is this piece between these two characters going to resolve? And yet at the same time, I walk away going, whoa, what a great, amazing, complete story. Like that's that's a little, that's part of the mind-blowing experience for me. So Andrew, I say that to say, when I look at the Quaritch character... <laughs> I say that to say you're wrong. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I just say it to bring context to my perspective on the uh, the, the Quaritch Navi character uh, yeah, being a completely different character because I think the way Cameron's going to use them and is already using the, them even in the, the third act of this movie is completely different than the one-note villain that he, he was in uh, Avatar. So, I thought he was a Avatar. great villain in the first Avatar movie. Sure, but he needed to be different in this. And he's not. I, I mean, clearly I disagree, and yeah. I think it's all right <laughs> well, there on the screen. Well, let's, but... let's, put a, let's put a bow on that, because I, I don't think we're going to get to a consensus. Yeah. I, I will say, on, on, the, on the soap opera jokes about... Uh, you know, coming back from the dead, and I'm reminded of like, oh, it's his secret twin brother, and then I, I reminded Jake yeah. Sully is a twin brother, and that's why he's in. Yes, he, he actually is. <laughs> that's he's the right. entire that's the entire start plot of the first movie is your twin died, you need to be replaced, and it's ironic that a soap opera mechanism that started the entire five picture franchise 
is if, such a if, linchpin to this argument. If Jake had been running around as the Navi at the beginning of this movie and his resurrected twin brother showed up as a human, then maybe I'd give you the soap opera stuff. But, you might uh, as well have. <laughs> pretty, I'm pretty sure he burned in a cardboard box during yes, the deleted I'm pretty scene. sure we saw, we saw that he had, he was able to view the, uh, the incineration uh, in yeah, the first movie. Well, that, def- that definitely... Jake's brother, who's, I don't even know if he has a name. doesn't matter. Um, so we've talked a lot about character. We've talked a lot about the technology. Mm-hmm. We haven't somehow, 40-something minutes into this, talked about the visuals of Avatar to the Way of Water. Yeah. Talk and about I it. Never, I, feel like- I never felt the same magic that I did in the first uh, Avatar movie. Really? Yeah. That, oh, one, I was, I do, that one I do think we can kind of chalk up to maybe the Just having experience. a bad experience in the theater. Yeah, and maybe. I think that if I were to go to... A laser IMAX 3D, which Please. I, I don't know if I did it for the first one because I don't know if laser IMAX was even a thing back it then. Wasn't. It yeah. wasn't. No, that, that so, only came out in 2015. Yeah, but I did see it in IMAX. I did see it in, yeah, in IMAX. And the uh, the visual uh, gallery of just spectacularness that I saw from the first one, I never I never felt that same magic. There, are, I mean, That's not to say that... This isn't like gonna be nominated and probably win some of the best visuals. It has to. It, it if has it, to. if it doesn't win every single visual effects award, the the entire awards body of every governing <laughs> ship is is an absolute <laughs> absurd joke. If this doesn't clean house across every awards uh, show, it is at, at a travesty. You heard it here. You heard it here. Yeah. I mean, this I, not to undersell it or oversell it, uh, as the case may be. Th- this is the greatest looking motion picture I've ever seen. Is is absolutely breathtaking. How incredibly gorgeous this looks! Like from individual beads of sweat to blades of grass or or tentacles of whatever is under that water. I, I know it took James thirteen years to make this, and I think it's because he traveled to another planet and came back. <laughs> it's absolutely it. incredible the stuff they're doing. There's a there's a nice extended sequence in the middle. And I love that that uh, Cameron kind of lets us sit with it for a bit, where one of the teenage sons goes swimming with a whale. And there's not any advancement of plot. There's not any advancement of character. We've had that. And then there's just like a good two-minute sequence where they're just swimming around. And it's just like, here, sit with this. Enjoy it. Just watch. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I want to be here all the time. I love this. And that was the impact of the first one, too, right? Like, yeah. you walk out of the theater, and you're just like, ah, take me back to Pandora. Take me like, back to Pandora, yeah. I mean, I'll, I, I mean, that back. movie was 13 years back, ago. We Kate. We have to go back. <laughs> Thir- 13 years ago now, but I'll never forget the first time I saw those Hallelujah Mountains, where, where, the, yeah. where Jake and Terry, they're mm-hmm. running up the, the vines in between the floating mountains, and he's on his way to go and, and tame the mighty Akron. There, I got goosebumps. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, the visuals, the 3D, when it clicks, when your brain forgets for a moment, it's not real. That's the m- magic of movie making. And, and Jim does it again here in spades. It was there's so some, gorgeous. There's some underwater stuff in this this movie that I just, like, it's literally impossible. I don't, it I don't so understand. Good. I don't understand how you do it. And... There's beyond like my inability to grasp the practice of it. <laughs> it's just it's so enveloping the emo- the emotion of even just the the simple concept of there is a creature who has evolved 
to be symbiotic in nature as a breathing apparatus for you know oxygen eating creatures like that's that was so cool that's I a brilliant that. concept like i've i've never and and the fact that it looks like angel wings like is even like cooler like and just some of the stuff there's without giving away any of the end and we'll talk a lot about the third act which i think is the strongest act of the movie uh easily easily um we'll talk a lot about that but the uh the there's some there's some things that happen in the third act with particle effects and glow effects underwater that is it's it has the one two punch of it it looking like nothing you've ever seen before so it's blowing away your mind visually right you're just going how narratively it, it's it's like a it's a really cathartic it's 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 cathartic narratively as well so it's like doing both things and it elevates that you know that's that to me is when storytelling is clicking at its best uh visual storytelling is when both the visual and the emotional and the narrative are all working together to go to elevate you right to to take you to a place you've never been before to bring you to a moment where you feel something see something uh, i'm reminded learn of, of an, i'm reminded of another james cameron movie you might have heard of terminator 2 um, when uh, Robert mm. Patrick steps out of the exploding semi in liquid metal form, and it's the first mm-hmm. time we see him in full liquid metal, and it's this the, the you know the visual effects in service of a jaw dropping like holy crap he mm-hmm. can come back from this, mm-hmm. and it's one of those moments where the, the the storytelling and the visuals line up to deliver that like one two punch exactly. that you're talking about. There's nothing and there was, like there's it, There's so man. many of those. There's so many of those in this. I mean, other directors have done it, but I I, I don't know. There, there's something about this big budget. High stakes, high concept stuff that that James Cameron does, I think, better than anybody. And he has my number. I, he has what, like only like eight or nine films. This is the second he's done in a quarter century, mm-hmm. and I love every single one of them. Like my, I think his weakest film is True Lies, and that's like a nine out of ten for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like everything he's done is I, there's something about his ability to craft a story he's around done three movies in the last quarter of a century. Right? Well, Titanic, Titanic came out 25 years ago this yeah. week, yeah. December so, of 97. I mean, I know he did some documentaries, some like under the sea documentaries <laughs> yeah. and that kind under of stuff. I'm just talking narrative features. <laughs> under the sea. Well, Andrew, I feel like uh, you, I want you to pipe in here. Did you, do you disagree that the visuals were just like bone chilling and jaw dropping? No, no, not at all. I don't disagree. And I mean, I don't believe that. I think what I'm trying to say is I think with my visual experience, I never got that magical wonder of yeah. that I got from the first one. That's not to say that the visuals are not stunning. It's just I think that I literally you never, felt like you never I was, got goosebumps. I never got. Thank you. There we go. Yeah, I never I, felt I like I was did. transported like to another planet, like I was in the first I, I, one. A few times, I legitimately got chills. I was just like, "Wow, yeah. this." We is- would be better off counting the moments I didn't have goosebumps when I was watching this movie. <laughs> it would take shorter time, amount of time. I, I do want to see it again, <laughs> and I do want to see it in you know, like Laser IMAX 3D, where I can really appreciate everything. But because I have a feeling, if I see it then, then I'll know like this magical feeling that I'm missing. That that could really bump it up for me because. While it's it's the same argument that can be made with the first one, how the it didn't work the as well story, on home media was that it didn't work as well on home media. No, what I'm trying to say is that um, the first movie, the story itself wasn't 
that fresh or unique. You know, it's dance, blue dances with wolves, you know. So I don't need a great story to feel like I'm transported to another planet. I think it's just the, uh, the screen, you know, setup that I had for watching this movie, you know, denied me that, that level of immersion into another world. Yeah, that sounds sure. probably sure. about right. Hopefully you get a chance to re-experience it, but yeah. uh, Aaron I, and I take our word for it. Our laser uh, right. See it Aaron, the biggest, it? brightest. Was your, uh, how big was your screen with the Dolby? Was it an IMAX Dolby or was it just regular? No, no, it was, uh, I mean, it was a big screen. It was a big screen Dolby, but it wasn't IMAX. Um, so... So yeah, I don't I don't know the actual dimensions, but you know how like regular movie screens can be different sizes. It was sure. it was definitely a bigger screen, and the sound was dialed. Dolby Theater is a it's just a great way to watch a movie. I wish um, I had one around me. I looked it into it recently. For, we don't for actually this movie. have one. We don't have one around us either. I just happened to be in New York for the press yeah, right. screening, so um, I was able. Yeah, to see the it. New York's the closest to me. I'm up in New Hampshire, and I would have to drive five six hours to see yeah. any yeah. any Dolby screen. Unfortunately, there's none in Boston, which is kind of weird. Yeah, wow. uh, I do want to talk about. I think it ties into the visuals. Another one of my favorite parts of this movie, um, which you know, it's beginning to sound like every part of this movie is a favorite world part building? of this movie. Is it and world building? It's not world building. We're not going there yet. We're not going there yet. Uh, we can get. Th- we'll get there eventually, John. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> no, uh, because I was thinking about the third act, and am I exaggerating to say n- nobody does action like Jim Jim Cameron? Like the oh, he's the, he. He's so good at it. The He's action a in this final act puts every Marvel movie ever in the corner with a dunce cap on. Like, it's just like, it's just the idea that you can shoot a movie like this and know the, know the geography of every moment, like have these big, exciting things you've never seen before happen. And again, that it's all happening in, in service of the story. Some of that, that moment when, let's just call it the the revenge of the whale uh that some of that revenge of the whale stuff is just euphoric the way that it's shot and structured story wise i guess what i guess what cameron does really really well is he understands the actions just it's not just there to make you go wow it's there to tell a story like every bit of the action scene is telling you a story about what's happening with these these characters. It's not just oh, two ter- characters are coming together, they're going to punch each other for a little bit, maybe do some cool kicks, that kind of stuff, and then one of them will you know be victorious. It's it's literally the emotion, the motivations of the characters, all of that is built in to how the action works. Um, even a lot of a lot of the stuff with Natiri, like a lot of her action stuff is filled with this emotion because of the story. And so the way he combines action with narrative, with story again, it's just, it just, I don't know. I just watch something like this and I go, why either number one, can't more filmmakers get up to Jim's level of understanding action (laughs) or B (laughs) or B why can't James Cameron just direct every action? Because <laughs> it takes because it takes him, him nine <laughs> takes him on an average of nine years per film to get it done. Correct. Right? Uh, that is. Yeah, I mean, that you you look, you look at his you look at his arsenal, right? Aliens two, Terminator, True Lies, The Abyss, Titanic. This man knows how to do action better, if not as good as anyone else alive. He, he's tremendous. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. would say maybe Spielberg, and and not even today Spielberg, but like eighty Spielberg would be the only other like comparable director on his level in terms of uh, a well-choreographed, easy-to-follow, in-service-of-the-plot action that because also we, wows us. Because we talk we talk about like the difference between 
something like the raid movies, right? In Marvel, right? Yeah. We t- we talk about the idea of there's a way to shoot action that is more exciting, more visceral, more interesting. You can do more cool things with it. Yeah. That's not even what I'm talking about. Like that's part of it. But I'm even talking about that next level where it's like the action is an integral part of the story. It's not a break from the story to see people punch each other. It's actually right. an integral part of what's happening in our narrative. Um, and that's I, that's just something he gets better than anybody else, I think. And it's it's really clear in that third act. And I think part of the reason this movie feels so complete and feels like a complete resolution is because of the way he handles the action in the in the third act. Because we begin to see the story as it is attached to this battle, right? And so, if the battle is resolved, the story is resolved uh, for the moment. Um, and so I think that's part of how that magic trick is is pulled off. Uh, Completely in agree. This, in this no movie. notes. <laughs> <laughs> did the action get to you, Andrew? At all? Did you think the action was better than most, or did it was it just kind of tied into the visual thing not working? Man, I really wish I would have seen your guys' movie. I really <laughs> wish. And and I'll say this: the reason why I didn't say anything during that is because I wanted at least one. Uh, uh, a topic where I wasn't disagreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can disagree. That's fine. If yeah. the action didn't work for you, it didn't work for you. I'm not saying it's bad. It's really good. But whenever you talk about it being the greatest action of all time, I think that that might be hyperbolic for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would have to do uh, a list as far as like movies and action movies and what's the greatest action movie of all time. I, I, I don't I've remember. I've actually done that. I have a list on Letterboxd for that. And this this would be up there. What, yeah, what I, need, I'm more I need you saying, to post your uh, your letterbox so I can see what you. What yeah, it's just with. it's just uh, at John Paula. Okay. The, what I was more, what I was more saying is that nobody does action like Jim Cameron does. Nobody does action in a in a way as good of a way, in my opinion, of yeah. tying the story into the action. Was the point I was making? Yeah, I, yeah, Not I, that I, this I'm is a, the greatest no, action yeah, movie no, ever I, made, but I think it, yeah, I, I should have clarified. I, I but it, yeah, I still that's that's kind of what I was trying to say. Like I've seen yeah. action with storytelling oh, done. Sure. Just as good, I think. Yeah, it'd so. be an interesting conversation. I'd have to do a lot more research to to really think. So maybe about that's it. the best ever challenge somewhere down the road. <laughs> best be ever good. integrated story with I, action. I, I will say quickly, there is a moment not not to spoil anything where um, there is let's just say a high tension harpoon cable. Um, mm-hmm. There is a moment where my entire theater erupted in cheers. Yes, mine too. And that's that's the kind of like cathartic story meets action moment that he's so good at delivering. And I was like, absolutely. Yes, that was great. We saw it set up. We saw it paid off. It had a, you know, a, a, a beginning, middle and end. And it's just a short little, you know, like 20 second sequence in the, in the mm-hmm. midst of this big battle. But it was perfect little moments like that, that and can constantly I just, being threaded. And I, I, I loved it. Can I just it. say it's also kind of narratively genius what happens yes, there? Yes. Like there's, there's a, a symmetry. It's there's so a good. it's so good. Like he's just so good at that. And uh yeah, I, I I love that moment. I am not used to being in a press screening with like, you know, 20 other critics or whatever and to have a moment like that where the critics are like, "Oh, you know, like kind of, you know, like react like that." Cuz usually cr- critic screenings are pretty down Play oh, yeah. even during big big movies, um, but that that I, moment I, I, hit I have everybody. Heard that. I have heard that. The, Aaron and I went to go see Endgame at a press screening, and mm-hmm. I was the only one making any noise at all. And I was very <laughs> I was very timid because I've been to you know these press screenings before, and I'm like, okay, I know nobody says anything, but like whenever Cap like. 
picks up Mjolnir. I was the only one in the theater who's like, <laughs> yeah, I had I, no. I had to see Endgame with a with a packed crowd opening weekend, even though I had already seen the the press yeah. screening. I had to for that experience. Yeah, we um, we talked earlier about the Hallelujah Mountains in the first Avatar. Um, Cap's Mjolnir moment in Endgame remains, I think, number one on my list of all time best theater experiences because on opening night with a crowd of diehards, there is there's a euphoric elation that erupts mm-hmm. from everybody collectively yeah. and yeah. everyone's like it's happening and it was just it was, i love that sensation and i don't i don't think the way of water approaches any moment like that but i think collectively there's so much that uh my theater loved it we, we my theater clapped at the end i haven't had a clapping theater in years mm-hmm. and i was like absolutely this is applause worthy thank you <laughs> jordan's furniture in massachusetts this is great your theater oh. chain is called jordan's furniture I, I, I jokingly refer to it so I don't name drop the brand, uh, which is kind of a, a joke Chris Berman on ESPN used to do. I, I just refer to it as the furniture store because, yes, in Massachusetts, the best premier theater we have is in a furniture store, a high-end local regional furniture store. Uh, and, yeah, they have a 100-foot IMAX laser 3D screen next to their couch showroom. <laughs> are the sofas and you know yeah, yeah. the, the love the seats row? are they all in the theater and that's just what no you they're right on? you exit through the showroom so as soon as you leave amazing. the theater you're next to the couches and end tables and lamps and tables huh. it is, uh, it's an experience well i do have to say we've been talking about avatar for an hour now and this doesn't surprise me uh that especially considering the way i felt about it uh that that we have been i feel like there's so much we haven't even touched upon yet well, why, but we don't, probably why don't you throw some stuff out let's let's do uh, some quick fire uh thoughts john of uh, stuff other stuff you want to talk about yeah i did a very brief review uh last night on my letterbox i'm going to look through some of these notes here i think we hit upon some of the biggest notes right that i felt like this was a more compelling and less derivative story. We went in new, interesting ways. We expanded the world with new characters, certainly new locations. Everything on the water was incredible. The stuff at the beginning in the forest kind of felt like, oh, all right, well, this is still beautiful, but we, we've kind of seen this already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do wonder how, how how James and the rest of the team are going to take things in Avatars 3, and hopefully we get 4 and 5, because are they all going to be in new, is the next location going to be all in the air, and then the fourth location only going to be underground? Well, like, there- are they just... There is a line do- that indicates maybe this is the tribe we're staying with. There is a line yeah. in the movie that that kind of indicates that we're staying here, which is fine with me, honestly, because, again, I think the relationships are set up in a way that I am pumped to see where some of this stuff goes. Yeah, uh, I'm fine. The introduction of the new with- tribe is my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked all that stuff. Um, I will say we haven't mentioned a, a, a lot of it, but the motion capture performances, um, you know, Andy Serkis notwithstanding – this is some of the best looking mocap ever. I think sure. easily. Oh yeah. There, it, oh it, yeah. There are little moments, especially in close-ups, when you get that like 4K high frame rate, and um, where I'm I'm tricked again for a minute. I'm looking at a Navi with like this these cat-like mm. features, nine feet tall, but there's like a little curl of their lip or like a little wrinkle in the corner of their eyelid, and it's like, oh wow, this is so innate and so detailed. That you're you're seeing all the nuance of these performances come through so loud and clear in a way I don't think I've ever seen even with you know uh, Gollum or um, Caesar in the Apes movies mm-hmm. like these these are some of the best CG characters if not absolutely the best ever uh, and then yeah. last note uh, I I loved the world building with all the humans we don't spend a lot of time with the Earthlings on this movie but the stuff at Beachhead City with like the monorail and all these like crab-like builders mm-hmm. there's a throwaway line from Edie Falco who's 
a throwaway character in this almost, where she says, we have these little robots that can build a building in four days. And I'm like, ooh, that, I want more of this. This sounds cool. I want to see how they basically create a colony on another planet. They just starcrafted it. Yeah, it, it, it kind of reminded me of like Starcraft or Starship Troopers. And we get little glimpses of what that future technology can do. And, and I've heard uh, the rumor is that if we get a fifth avatar, they might finally take some of the action back to Earth. And that, to me, seems really intriguing and, and like a really compelling way to wrap up a big, big five-picture narrative is we haven't actually seen Earth no, in and any detail. They talk about how, uh, you know, desolate it is now and how it's... Yeah. So and that, I'd be and that, curious that stuff just was really interesting quick, to me. A quick pick of it, you know. Show me a show me a Polaroid of Earth. <laughs> I, I wanted to mention you mentioned Edie Falco, and it was one of the the moments. The, Cameron does this stuff sometimes, and it can Im- impact you in different ways. It can be eye rolly. It can make mm. you laugh. Uh, he has these little moments. One of them for me was closest I got to rolling my eyes in this movie. He has Edie Falco drinking her cup of coffee by holding it with oh, a mech arm. <laughs> it was a little silly. It's so silly. It's so silly. But you know Cameron loves it. You know, he's just like, he's let's have her off. drinking her coffee, but let's have her miming it with her actual hand and drinking it with her mech arm, which makes no sense. It no, makes no really sense because it. it would it never reach no her mouth. Sense. She would have to technically reach I know, behind her head. That, I know it makes no sense. So, uh, so there you go, Andrew. There's there's my negative for the movie. Uh, there, there's another scene. There's there's another scene just before that where Edie is uh, walking step in step with with a, a nine foot Navi, and she's in some sort of uh, you uh-huh. know stilt suit for lack yeah. of a better word. Yeah. And that was like a, a free wheeling dynamic uh, oneer that kind of follows them along and floats alongside. And I think a lot of people are going to miss the fact that that's, you know how hard it is to film someone walking above the ground next to someone that is on, like, the technical artistry just to accomplish a walk and talk when someone's half as tall as the other. It, it was such a cool, it was it was a very, like, show-off moment. Like, yeah, yeah I'm going to make Edie float here. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. it looked so good. I don't know uh, how they did that. I think the I'm world imagining world... she was on some sort of uh, green-screened bridge. Maybe. And they just, uh, you know, comped in the suit around her. Well, yeah. well the however they did it, it was yeah. it was such a cool effect because it's kind of like Gandalf walking next to Frodo. It was like I know there's some practical trickery happening, but a lot of that's just in the computer and the fact that they blended it so seamlessly. It was that those little details. I was like, oh, I want I want more of this stuff. This was great. So the world building is worth uh, bringing up for sure. Um, I think the themes are worth bringing up. Uh, you know the the eco terrorism idea. Uh, you know, I actually the the cup of coffee is not my main negative. I actually my <laughs> main negative for both the first avatar and this movie is that it that it feels and I get it and I also get that I'm in the minority on this because of my my pacifism my feelings on violence those kind of things but the movies both justify levels of violence from our heroes that is uncomfortable mm. to me especially considering you know what they're trying to say about saving life and valuing life in that's that's kind very of fair to, so to be that, fair so there's there's a disconnect for me in in those places in in both of the movies. Um, James Cameron feels completely different. Like he he loves that stuff, and and that's you know just something we're gonna have to walk our separate ways on. Um, but uh, but that is probably my biggest negative. But thematically, the ideas of what they're trying to do, uh, it's so interesting how the first one was in my mind about like the military industrial complex. You know, and the idea of the power of that, the corruption of that, 
And then this one, you think, oh, it's going to be the military industrial complex again. But it very quickly and interestingly becomes about um, about, uh, you know, um, commerce. It becomes very quickly about the idea of private business and how that is uh, the power and corruption of that can do the same things as the military industrial complex. Because in this movie, I don't think this gives up too much of the plot, but in this in this movie, this version of Korich uh, is, you know, starts off on a project from the military, you know, industrial complex and ends up taking his own way. He ends up like they're like, no, nah, we're good. And he's like, I'm not good. I got to do more. And he finds his own way to do this through, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, taking advantage of people who are stripping nature for private gain. Um, and it's just it's interesting how Cameron wants to, you know, uh, point out to us all these different ways that we are, um, you know, ruining our environment uh, for gain, for money. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think you're going to miss the environmental messages of the Avatar no. films. No. And, and, I, and I don't blame him. Uh, this guy obviously loves the ocean. Uh, he wants to preserve it. Uh, and I get that. We got a garbage patch float in the Pacific the size of Rhode Island right now. So, uh, yeah, if this $2 billion movie can uh, help raise awareness that uh, maybe we shouldn't throw away stuff, <laughs> I'm all for it. Uh, it was. Uh, not subtle, but I don't know that that subtlety or lack thereof is necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. right there with you. Yeah. Uh, any other aspect? I know you. The, I agree with you, uh, John. By the way, I think there probably are several parts of this that we just have missed talking about, and that's you know oh, yeah. that's always going to happen with something this big. Andrew, was there any other part of it you wanted to to bring up? We'll just kind of make this the one last thing. If there's any other element of this movie we want to have a chat about, no post credit scene. That is true. Yeah. That's true. There, there was a there was a quick moment um, where characters, new characters, visit locations and people from the original movie. Uh, or, and this is like the first forty minutes or so. I don't want to spoil too much, but there, there's a few moments where we revisit locations, and I thought that was really cool and really well done. And again, Aaron, to your earlier comment about like servicing new versions of characters and what that means, and mm-hmm. I think they kind of tied in. The, the original versions of people with their new versions in interesting ways that, um, yeah, trying to dance around spoilers a bit, but like I thought that was like really fascinating stuff. I guess, well, I guess uh, I'll choose to talk about Echoes, Cameron Echoes. There are some very purposeful Cameron Easter eggs here that, that Jim's putting in that I think are fun. There's a, uh, there's a, a, hmm. I don't necessarily <laughs> want to spoil those moments, but uh, there's a Terminator moment specifically that I'm thinking of. Uh, and there, I mean, obviously there's a lot of Titanic echoes, uh, here in the third act. Um, I remember that where they were along the door, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. It was weird. Clearly, it was, clearly it was enough room that, for all that they There's kept, room for both. It was, it was weird that N- Natiri, uh, kept calling him Jack. His name's yes. Jake. I don't, I don't understand. Jack Sully. My Jack. Yeah. My Jack. My Jack. Oh, that would have been hilarious if the Kate Winslet character kept mistakenly calling him Jack instead of Jake. Oh, my that would, goodness. That would have been amazing Jack. and terrible, but it would have been amazing. I would have liked the movie more. <laughs> I, I did hear that uh, Cameron literally spent a ton of money to scientifically prove that the two of them couldn't have uh, been on the door at the same time. He, he, he has done did, that. He did like a huge research project. That's hilarious. I remember Mythbusters did it, and they it was a, a bunch it of wasn't it wasn't a space thing. It was a buoyancy thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they're right. both on the door, they might fit, but it's going to be just under the water, and they would just freeze to death. Right. That was yes. that was his thing. 
Yes, yes. But it is it is so it is dumb. That does sound like something James stuff. Cameron would do. <laughs> of course. I'm gonna spend millions of dollars just to prove that I'm not a fool. Well he yeah. he's a stickler for details. After Neil deGrasse Tyson called him about getting the, the stars wrong on the April fifteenth morning next to Newfoundland, <laughs> he went back and when he did the three D post conversion on Titanic in twenty twelve. He fixed it. He fixed the sky. So when Jack and Rose look up at the stars, it's the correct star alignment for that night 110 years ago. And it's like, well, this you didn't have to do that. That seems silly. Neil deGrasse was just, you know, pulling your chain there. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As, as somebody but I love that about it. I, I love that about James YouTube Cameron. Channel. Uh, yeah, that's that's funny. That's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think there's... Uh, this this has been fun. This has been a fun conversation, Andrew. I as as much as we disagree on uh, the Quaritch thing or whatever else in this movie, I'm really glad your perspective is here. Uh, I it's much better for me when we're not just a gush fest. That's okay every once in a while where we all love a movie and and that's fine. But I love hearing the perspective of, ah, it just didn't quite work for me and here are the reasons why. And I think you explained it well and I you know, I want you to know that it's it's appreciated uh, more than anything. Well, next time um, you need me to hate a movie, just let me know and I'll, <laughs> I'll join the red right. team on it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's going to wrap up our very congenial and unified thoughts. <laughs> yes. uh, I, I was going to say very succinct as well. Yes, yeah, really. very succinct, unified praise of the miracle that is uh, Avatar The Way of Water. <laughs> I apologize for just constantly repeating everything that you guys said, you know. Yeah, we, of course. No, yeah. it's all right. It's all right. We appreciate it. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. All right. Well, let's now let's let we have to get into what everyone really came here to talk Correct. about. Correct. Correct. This is what people came to listen to, Aaron. Let's talk a little bit about emancipation. Give thanks to God. The Lord is with us. What can a mere man do to me? Papa! I will come back to you. You walk the earth because I let you. I'm your god now. Inspired by the gripping true story of a man who would do anything for his family and for freedom, when Peter, an enslaved man, risks his life to escape and return to his family, he embarks on a perilous journey of love and endurance. Uh, Emancipation is the first Will Smith project, post-slap, if you will. Um, So there will always be that part of the conversation, but let's talk about the actual movie, shall we? Uh, What did you guys think of Emancipation? Uh, By the way, this is uh, Antoine Fuqua. Uh, directing this and uh, does have a little bit of awards hopes here, although those do not appear to be coming true. But what did you guys think? Uh, did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Uh, Andrew, kick us off. I liked it. John? 
Eh, high side of didn't like it, if that makes any sense. That makes Close complete to, okay. sense here on Civ Pop. Yeah, we, or low side we, of liked it. We, or, or actually, I would say low side of just okay, actually. Yes, yes I was. Gonna, yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. We, we totally understand what that means here on Civ Pop. Uh, Emancipation, I'm on the high side of just okay. Maybe even the low side of liked it, but uh, no, I'm going to land high side of just okay for Emancipation. Um, let's get into some specific thoughts. Uh, Andrew, this is your favorite movie of the year, because you, you loved it more than all of us. Uh, yeah. What what is uh, what are your thoughts of, on Emancipation? Um, I really enjoyed the uh, the visualness or the visual aspect of this movie. How, how let's turn the saturation down to ten and the gradient up to four million. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it did make it difficult at times. It, to it's fully, not black and white. The it's movie not. is. The movie is just desaturated, and I, I'm going to admit something. I cheated, and I turned the saturation on my TV all the way up to 100. It's at zero by default because uh, it's a weird scale. And I put it all the way to 100 just so I could see some level of color. And the movie <laughs> – it made the movie better even though I am d- deliberately and directly just, uh, you know, in, in the face of Antoine's, you know, vision and color grade. I was like, no, this is wrong. I don't like the way it looks. I'm changing it. <laughs> well, I think the saturation – and correct me if I'm wrong because I am colorblind. Uh, I felt like it it wasn't a constant – like, it felt like there were certain scenes where the saturation wasn't dialed down as much as the others. I think there's certain colors that, that picked up better because of the way they were lit. But as far as I could tell, it was uniformly desaturated, like, 98%. I love it for... I love that for both of these movies, we're starting the conversation talking about uh, the the, Esoteric, the technical, technical stuff, yeah, <laughs> stuff about it. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I think that if you're going to have one correlating factor between the two movies, it's going to be that they yeah. visually try and tell a story in a unique way. Um, yeah, I don't think that the the saturation ingredient like benefited the movie like it didn't make it feel more real or anything like that. Or if they were trying to go for a more historical. You know, I'll be completely honest. It felt like a first-year film student just bought his first pack of LUTs on like some Adobe <laughs> stock site. And he's like, ooh, this one, washed out grayscale. I'll try this. Ooh, yeah. that looks artsy. I'll keep it. Like it's, it just it, – it felt – it didn't – I didn't like it at all. No, it was it my felt, least favorite part of the movie actually. Really? Just, the, just the visuals, grade yeah. it normally. I don't know yes, why. Exactly. Or, Make it black and white. Or, or just make it black normal. and white. Yeah. Right. Do one or the other. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. It, it felt like stuff – it felt like a half measure that – was deliberately like, look at us, we're artistic. And it's like, no, it just looks like you screwed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Every once in a while, there'd be like a hint of blue in the uniform or whatever that my eye would catch in. I'd just be like, why? But but so why aren't they blue then? Just make them blue. If they're blue, make them blue. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was weird for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you guys? Uh, what's your biggest pro for the movie? I guess I can go next, um, guys. I think Will Smith's a really good actor. Now, this is a this is a pro and, a, and I think this is a pro <laughs> and a con um, because I, I'm going to focus on the pro, which is he's really good in this part. I think he yeah. he captures the dialect really well. Um, you know, kind of uh, there's there's this French aspect. Uh, you know, kind of uh, Southern uh, Louisiana kind of thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I was going to say the combination of the Haitian, Haitian and with, Louisiana with and the Cajun, Cajun, Haitian, is Cajun, really yeah. interesting. And there's a lot of that here, and I think he does it well. Um, with with the he is more emphasized on the the Haitian dialect, I, mm-hmm. I think, but yeah. it's there, and I think he he does that well. He also performs well. 
Um, so Will Smith is really good in this, and one of my favorite things about the movie. The the, the con I'll tag on is I'm not sure this is the kind of movie I'm most excited to see Will Smith do, and I don't just mean uh, topic wise. I'm not just talking about you know slavery those kind of things. I just mean the more serious dramatic role, which I know he he really wants to do. I just I I wonder if we're missing out on some you know some great like gregarious yes. joyful Will yes. Smith performances. It's you know, selfish good to at that. Bad Boys and to Independence yeah, Day. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit selfish to admit that, but I mean I feel the same way about Jim Carrey. Like go back to comedy. I know you love this dramatic stuff, and you're Which good he has at it. in Sonic. Sonic you know, like he, yes. he he started right. to do that. Uh, and same thing with Will Smith. Like, yeah, you're incredible. You won the Oscar last year, slap or not, well deserved. And this is another great, uh, uh, you know, award caliber performance. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of wish he would do like Independence Day three or something. You know, <laughs> it, well, he it's, died. Um, so <laughs> I, I would, I would say, I'll say this controversial opinion: Resurgence was a pretty good movie, and if he was in it, it would have been great. Interesting. I do not share that opinion, but yeah. if he was in it, I share the opinion. It would have been much better. Yeah, um, I think so. Uh, who I do want to see in more of these kind of roles is Ben Foster. I love watching Ben Foster. He's now, so he's, good at playing a heel. He is he, so he good. Is, he is chewing scenery here a little it's bit, great. but it's so great. I'm enjoying it. When this movie works for me, and I'll just here's where I'll land my my pros. When this movie works for me, it is in the action chase stuff. It's in the Ben yeah. Foster has a task to accomplish. It mm-hmm. is to catch Will Smith, and Will Smith has a task to accomplish, which is to escape and get to you know a Lincoln's army. And that stuff is the best stuff in the movie. That's where this this movie really works. And it when it really wants to be, works. Op- and it really works. It really does. Well, and also Fuqua's a great action director. We talked about you know how Cameron directs action. Fuqua's really good at action as well. So so uh, so that's when this movie works. When it doesn't work is when it, it just wants to be Oscar bait. And when it, when it wants to sink in to the more Oscar-y, meaningful stuff. And please understand, this is no commentary on the meaningfulness of the story. It is an incredibly meaningful story. But the movie is of two minds of what it's trying to do here. And I think one of them works better uh, than the other. So those As are usual, uh, I agree. Um, nothing to add, really. Uh, I will say the the chase sequences, which make up the the majority of like the first sixty percent of this film, if not more. Uh, yeah, well shot, well directed, tense, suspenseful. I also felt twenty minutes over long. Like, okay, we get it. We're in the swamp. We're surviving. What what happens next? Like, move on to the next point. Mm-hmm. I was getting I was getting a little tired. Like midway through this film, like, okay, he's he's still covered in mud and he's still breathlessly hiding from. Well, you know, it's Will Smith's revenant. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. A bit like that, for sure. Um, and I guess I just wasn't as captivated by this character. We don't know enough about him at the beginning so that the payoff at the end doesn't really land as hard. We don't know enough um, about him, period. Yeah. I, it was just – there was a lot missing here for me to care, for lack of a better word. And um, I, I, I enjoyed the ride, so to speak. But I, I feel like um, slave movies for – they're just – I, this didn't offer anything new for this particular genre. It felt like we've seen all I these tropes before. We've seen these beats before, like uh, uh, you know the the escape, the reunion, all these moments. We've we've seen in better productions, and I, I kind of feel of the mind like if you can't do better than Roots, then you know come up with a different angle or do better than Roots because mm. just doing a worse version of stuff we've seen on a TV miniseries forty years ago doesn't impress me much in twenty twenty two. 
I'm going to bring a little bit of a different perspective here, uh, attempt to. And one thing I do want to just bring to the surface, we talked about this before, was not able to have, uh, you know, one of our critics come on to the show who's a person of color this week to talk yeah, about I, this Yeah, I definitely movie. want to hang a lampshade on the fact that I am blazingly yes. white. <laughs> Maybe don't use the phrase hang a sheet on it. Maybe that's I not s- the, the... I said lampshade. I said <laughs> oh, lampshade. Did you? I thought you said sheet. That's, no, that's no, 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 no. Hang a lampshade on it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I totally uh, acknowledge um, so my that, perspective and, and lack of... We're, we're three white guys, right? Yeah, like in yeah. that, just bring that right to the surface. So let me let me offer maybe a little bit of possible perspective on why it's important to keep making these movies, even when they don't work. There is an element where it's easy to think of the past as the past in something we just need to, you know, we uh. get it. We get it already. And the truth of the matter is we don't get it. And we need to keep feeling it and seeing it and understanding it from a perspective and that's the other part of this i think that that there might be a perspective on is for people of color it's often important for them to tell the story to be part of the story and to uh be part of listen this is part of my history this is part of so for for will smith or whoever to be able to to do this i i believe is genuinely important in in a value beyond just us critiquing it as a film um, but you, but I agree with the sentiment of if you're going to do it, bring it to us in a new way. Bring us yeah. something new in a way that you're visualizing the story. And I think they thought the chase element was that new angle. And I I just a don't know that that's true. I think we have seen that before. But also b it creates a movie like uh, like you said, Andrew, that it that at times wants to be Will Smith's The Revenant. <laughs> but at other times wants to be Will Smith's 12, 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. And like those two things, are they're hard to put together. And I don't know that the movie, uh, I don't believe the movie accomplishes. I, the, I, yeah, 12 Years a Slave, Django Unchained. I, I'm probably failing to remember a few others from the last mm-hmm. 10 years or so. But they tackle similar characters and similar perspectives, I think, in way more compelling ways than mm-hmm. what just amounts yeah. to basically, a, a you know, this is two hours and 12 minutes. This is not a short film. And I feel like at 90, this would have been, I think, really interesting, especially since the back 30 or 40 minutes, we basically pivot to a Civil War movie. And it completely mm-hmm. shifts tone. It, it shifts the focus of the narrative. It's no longer like a man running for his life. It's a completely separate film. And that stuff worked for me if you kind of take it in isolation. But as Correct. a whole, holistically, I was like, this movie doesn't feel like it has a focus. It just completely resets itself halfway through. And- I, again, individual moments I enjoyed a lot. Uh, I think watching Will Smith kind of play survivalist, I wish we understood how he knew all this stuff. Like, how did he understand how to cauterize a wound? Did he did he just pick that up? It, like, some backstory would have been helpful. But, uh, I, yeah, I enjoyed a lot of moments in this, but holistically uh, didn't work for me. That, for me, is the biggest con for this entire movie, is the lack of character building for everybody in this movie. We He's shown to be like a survivalist genius, but like how? Yeah, when? we don't know anything about not only Will Smith, anybody in this movie. The only person we get any kind of exposition or background story on is the Ben Foster whenever he's talking about, you know, uh, this one uh, s- uh, slave lady His who uh, helped yeah. him yeah, when he was a kid, which that story in itself is kind of weak as far as like, you know, a... Uh, 
Uh, well, it's not even a story about him. It's a story about his dad, and it's like, yeah, okay. It's just, that's exactly it. It's a story about his dad. And it doesn't seem like it informed his character because he's still a racist piece of crap. Yes. <laughs> so, like, it didn't even, like, what's the point of this? Why are you telling us this empathetic story if he's the <laughs> villain? Like, are you trying to ingratiate him with us? Uh, no, you're not. You're just trying to say that he, there was a lesson and he learned nothing from it. Is that? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And there's. There's a character in this movie who I, I don't I hope it's not spoilers to say, but there's a character who is a freed slave who now works for Ben Foster, and we don't get anything, on nothing on him. Name? And I'm like, there's a there's a thing where Will Smith is like, you're the worst kind, you know, and uh, I, I would have, I don't know, it just felt like there was not a character in this movie that felt fully realized. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know that I have a lot more to say. I've kind of covered my point. So if <laughs> we if spend you guys... 95% of this podcast <laughs> talking about Avatar. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. So, Andrew, did you have anything else you wanted to say about emancipation? Not that I can think of. Uh, no post-credits scene, obviously. Um, I really wish that um, this movie would have informed me sooner on of who this guy was. Yes. Yes, I yeah. was about to say, there's a title card at the end of the movie that's like, this man was important and did this and this. I'm like, oh, oh I had no idea. Cool. That would have been great context at the jump because I yeah. thought it was fiction. I didn't realize we were watching a real story <laughs> of a real a, man. Yeah, just give me a based on a true story at the beginning. That's why yeah. it's there. Yeah. And, and that and scene was, that, that is that so... Was a, that was literally a twist ending for me. I was like, oh, this yeah. is a real person who did this stuff. That's important information to know. <laughs> did we miss a based on a truth? Does it say based no, on it a true story at the beginning? It doesn't. I, and not so. only I, that, I hate to we that we just all missed it somehow. But I didn't. I don't remember seeing it either. But yes, that is important information to know. I actually I think, knew that. I think just, there was a title card at the beginning that said something like slavery existed and it happened for this many. We got some statistics. Many, we got statistics. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. We got some stats. Uh, in Louisiana alone, three hundred fifty thousand enslaved people faced a choice: remain in bondage and wait for the Union to liberate them, or they can escape. And that's yeah. the context. That's the setup for the narrative is, okay, we're going to watch somebody who tried to escape yeah. rather mm-hmm. than wait for the Union Army to come rescue them. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and, but and we the, don't ever learn explicitly that this is a real person and his struggle is a real account that we know from history uh, until the very end. Of, it was literally a twist ending for me. I was like, oh, wow. that's I'm actually more interested now because yeah. this, I could look this guy up and see what he did. And Yeah, yeah and the scene in... in in the scene in context that were, you know, is what makes him famous. You know, the picture scene is, is over so quickly that you don't even realize in the moment that this is the defining, you know, hour for this character. And, you know, like how, how he unknowingly is going to affect, you know, people with this picture. Yeah. And it, 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 it almost, I almost feel like the movie should have opened on that photograph this lithograph from 1860, whatever, opened yeah. on it from a modern context, maybe, and then kind of showed us, here's how we got there. Yeah. Just a little framing device, any sort of bookend, even a t- just a title card, something to kind of set us in the mood of, here's why this matters. Here's why mm-hmm. this person's life and escape amounted to so much more. Because that's where the emotional resonance of the film worked for me, rather than in the characters or the family or any of that stuff. It was like, look, I, I don't care about these characters. I don't know their names. Whereas yeah. the, the stuff that's based on real events, I'm like, well, that's actually really, really powerful because that really affected the tide and the, and the sentiment towards slavery uh, during the back half of the Civil War. And it's this man and his identity and his photograph that, and you, without that context, it's like, oh, okay, so what? Well, how is this important? 
Total swing and a miss, unfortunately. <clears throat> I guess my uh, my only other thing I would ask, uh, ask a question to you guys, and I'll answer it myself as well to begin, which is I have heard conversation from uh, fellow movie lovers in my circle that it's hard for them to watch Will Smith after the slap at the Oscars. I did not have that experience. Uh, it is – I very quickly – you know, was able to to fall into it. Does that distract you guys at all? Um, and Thank I know you there for are, bringing it up. I think that's a good conversation to have. I, I think there there are certainly actors who have done worse than slap somebody, right? Like we, you know, like it's it's <laughs> I, not that. I, 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 I will say, go ahead, finish. No, your I was just I was just for clarification purposes. The reason we talk about it is how public it was, right? Because it was so public, because we all talked about it for at least a week afterwards, if not more, yeah, right. and conversed about how does it happen? How does somebody do that in the public eye? Like, because there's so much gravity on it is what makes it different, right? Uh, that does, I'm not saying that morally is right or wrong or okay or not okay. What I'm asking is because of the gravity of the slap, does that change the way uh, you're able to watch Will Smith? I can separate art from artists um, pretty much across the board, right? There's a lot of conservative uh, actors and, and people that I love. That, like James Woods, by all accounts, seems like a terrible person if you disagree with his politics. But I love him as an actor, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the – and Mel Gibson. I, I love all of his films even though, again, seems like a terrible guy. Uh, the notable, <laughs> the one notable exception is not Will Smith. It's Roman Polanski. That's the one guy I'm like, you know what? I, I'm not even going to watch any of your films. Yeah. There's, there's something about the fact that not only did he do what he did – uh, he is, you know, fled the country and never fessed up to it. Will Smith gave an apology. Like, he, I, he did as much as he could. Uh, it seemed like him and Chris Rock maybe eventually hashed things out privately. Um, and, yeah, all things considered, it, it was a, a moment of weakness, a moment of rage. Uh, it made me think considerably less of him. Mm -hmm. But as a performer, as an actor, he is still one of my favorites. He has given us some fantastic films and fantastic roles. This is another one. But I do think that public discourse over the slap uh, is going to prevent him from getting any nominations for this. Whereas in a regular year, um, he, he might have got in uh, you know, a nomination or two. Honestly, if he had won last year, I don't know that he would be yeah, getting that, a lot that of conversation Generally, I feel like that, that is, that is uh, fairly common. Like, I mean, oh, we since gave it to him. he won last year. Since yeah. he won last we year. We gave him one last year. He's okay for yeah, a while. That's fairly common. Andrew, your thoughts? Kevin Spacey, Tim mm -hmm. Allen... I'm just going to start listing off people who have done <laughs> way worse things than slap people. Here's what I have to say about Mark Wahlberg's another one people love to say, like, oh, he beat up this. Yeah, Casey this, Affleck, this. you know, I could just yeah. list actors who have done terrible things that don't get talked about as much as Will Smith slapping somebody, you know? Like, for a month, it was crazy and it was fun to talk about. I think if people are still upset about it, they, they need to get over it. It, well, and I'm not even talking about like being upset at Will Smith for it. I'm talking about the ability to separate it from the viewing experience, which are two different things. I don't even right? think about it anymore. Quick. I don't even like yeah, when I I'm watching either. a Will Smith movie. I don't think like, oh, this is the guy that slapped Chris Rock. I mean, too, I think he's so strong in this performance. I forgot I was even watching Will Smith like eight minutes. Right. The, the right. accent's so thick. The, the look, he has sort of a haggard, lived in, long beard, again, caked in mud for most of it. I He, he transforms into it in, in the best way. He, he is the best part of this film by a Louisiana country mile. And uh, he's very talented, you know, irrespective of his uh, anger and outbursts and stuff. Yes, in the past. Poor, poor judgment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, all right. I just thought I'd bring it up. What's that? Is that your one last thing? That then? is my one last thing. So uh, I think we can uh, 
can move on from unless andrew you had anything else do you know how hard the armor of an alligator is you can't just <laughs> stab straight down through an alligator's head the oh, I, that's actually it's the base of the skull that is actually how you kill the alligator is you stab I, the bit like no, there's the base like a, of the skull there's yeah but he was spot. just going everywhere yeah, there's like a yeah. <laughs> a hole size that big where it's soft and you can shoot I, yes. um I got flashbacks to Red Dead Redemption during that whole sequence and uh, <laughs> in, in a good way. Like if you've ever played Red Dead Redemption in the swamps hunting for alligator, it's like, oh, this is oh. this is dangerous. He should not be doing this. <laughs> yeah. I'm more scared of the night people in Red Dead than I am of the alligators. Yeah, right. But I'll tell you this. Um, shame on him for leaving that alligator there. He could have cooked that alligator. It's the best meat well, in the world. They, they did. Some Somebody cooked it at least. It didn't go to waste. Yeah. Uh, so at least there's that. All right, uh, before we head on to the best ever challenge, thank you to our Pop members. Love you, appreciate you, glad to bring you extra content. If you're curious about what happens as a Pop member, just check it out at the Patreon, patreon.com slash Uh And uh, love you guys. Appreciate you for doing that. All right, let's move into the best ever challenge. Uh, we are going to talk about best ever blue people movies. Um, dippity, dippity. Daba dee, daba die. Uh, let's go number five to number one. It will be Trump. Uh, if you have it higher on the list. So, uh, John, kick us off. What is your number five blue person movie? Uh, this is a good pick. You guys might have forgotten it, but I didn't. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Was that Violet, my honorable mention? Violet. Violet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, a childhood classic. I mean, it's one of my favorites. The songs are great. Gene is great. The imagination and just the world building of this environment is so much fun. I can't wait to show my daughter this in another year or two because I think that tunnel scene's still a bit. Yeah, much you for might need to fast forward through the tunnel scene. That still <laughs> messes with me. That yeah. still messes. With me. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a bit yeah. much. It's a bit. That much. was the only. Re- we, 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 my wife and I talked. Like, can can Emery watch Willy Wonka? We're like, oh, a little bit. Of, oh, the tunnel scene. No, 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 no. We gotta wait. <laughs> some some uh, gnarly stuff in that. Andrew, what is your number five? I'm gonna go with the Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, that's so interesting. My five oh. is the Muppet movie. Uh, so that's that's really interesting. We're both Let's going talk Gonzo. I forgot about Gonzo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't blame Good. you for doing Christmas Carol though. That's I always go back and forth with my favorite Muppet uh movie, and it's it's Muppet movie for me, but Muppet Christmas Carol is great. No, they're both fantastic. Christmas um, Carol is my favorite. It is yeah. my favorite as well. Not only that, but it's kind of uh, relevant right now. We're in the season to be jolly. Um Michael Caine just slays it in this role. I saw a, a, something the other day where he was actually like talking about like his role in the Muppet or Muppet Christmas Carol, and he said he wanted to treat it very much like a Shakespearean play as opposed to a. Uh, uh, I, and I love that about his. He's playing it completely straight, and like everyone else is like a farcical yeah. parody almost. And there's something like forty versions of a Christmas Carol. I watched one with my daughter last week, A Barbie Christmas Carol. There's a new animated one. There's one's silent German movies from 110 years ago. And of the 15 I've seen, this, this is my favorite. Like, oh, yeah. It's by the- a good margin. And there's something about it that works with – I wish I – this probably would make my list, actually, if I had remembered Gonzo was blue. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, do you want yeah. to talk about a Muppet movie? I mean, it's a classic, right? Yeah. Like, it's just – it's it, it proved with puppetry what – you know, Toy Story proved with computer generation, right? Like it was like you can use the tools to create a really fun story and it not be about the tools, you know? Um, and yeah, I think Muppet movie is 
is really great filmmaking, and I I enjoy it quite a bit. Nineteen seventy nine. Wow. Yeah, that was your yeah, number five, Aaron. I was three when it came out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that is my number five. Uh, all right, number fours, John. What do you Mine got? Mine is Aladdin animated, of course. Me too. Me too. Uh, all it's at number four. Start number four. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, this has happened I'll twice. Just, pretty I'll just I'll just say two words and then I'll let you two talk. Robin Actually, we just set it Williams. up this way so we could get through this uh, quickly. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Uh, yeah, two words: Robin and Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the genie sure. is one of the greatest uh, characters ever produced for film. I, I, I agree. I, just, I Robin Williams is the key that unlocks this entire thing. However, I will also say this is some of the best music. Yeah. Uh, I love in, uh, the Aladdin soundtrack's my favorite of all the Disney movies. It's such a great soundtrack. Whole <gasps> New World, One Jump Ahead, uh, Prince Ali. There are so many bangers in this. Yeah. And uh, I've been rewatching a bunch with my kids and I was like, yeah, we'll watch Aladdin. I'm fine with that. Put that back on. <laughs> <laughs> I think yes. that would I don't be my see Paw Patrol again. <laughs> that would be the thing that I would be enjoy the most about having kids is, you know, un- unashamedly saying, hey, do you want to watch these old movies from my childhood? Yeah. yeah. Now, my five-year-old and I have already watched like 45 of the 62 Disney animated features. There's a couple we're waiting wow. on because they're a little more intense. But yeah. yeah, she's seen like almost the whole catalog already. <laughs> Uh, there you go. All of our number fours, uh, have a friend like yeah. him. Um, all right. So number threes then, John, we're still at you. What's your number three? Uh, Avatar, the original, uh, Natiri counts. Okay. then. <laughs> uh, Andrew, what's your number three? The Lion King. Zazu. Zazu. Zazu's blue. Is Zazu a main character? I don't know. Yeah, I, that's fine. That's did fine. it have to be a main character? I feel like I, Violet. I mentioned is a not... main character, but oh, they, did you? I mean, yeah, but it's it's. I fine. don't know if Violet's a main character in Willy Wonka, but oh, Violet's right. a main character in Willy Wonka. The kids okay. are all main characters in that movie. Yeah, okay, so. all right. but that's fine. No, no, no. Lion King's fine. Let's go with Zazu. Okay. Yeah, I forgot I, about I, him I've as well. mentioned Lion King a trillion times on this show. It seems so. Mm-hmm. We can move on. Yeah, it's very yeah. good. <laughs> it's good. Very, it's very, very good. Very good. Uh, You're so number three. My number three yes. might get trumped. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is my uh, is my honorable mention for me, and this is Go this is it. probably just outside my top five. This is exceptional. Marvel's probably second or third best film. Yeah, I actually debated Guardians Volume Two, uh, but I think Guardians is still my favorite. I really like Volume Two. I'm very excited for uh, the third one, but it's Guardians of the Galaxy is it. It was kind of one of Marvel's real first, like, let's see how far we can push this magic. Like, because, you know, they introduced the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, I guess technically with the Incredible Hulk. But uh, Iron Man was kind of, you know, the uh, what blew it up. And Iron Man wasn't like a known character, right? right? So then they get to Guardians of the Galaxy and it's like, are we really going to try to use this group of people as a tentpole movie? And it just works. And, and more than yeah. that, they did it without any connective tissue to what came before. They weren't set up in right. post-credit scenes. They weren't tied. No scenes take place on Earth. And it's like, if not for that soundtrack, I don't know that this movie works and connects as well as it does. Mm. But James Gunn was oh, brilliant. Man, I, think, I disagree I with that. I think it's great casting. I yeah. think the cast works so well together. I think James Gunn is 
is perfect for you know this uh, you know madcap yeah. group of misfits. Yes, yeah, I think um, the soundtrack is the icing on an already amazing cake. I, th- I think I think it's more integral and important than that. But I wouldn't concede. It's definitely a great film, regardless. But the music is what I think really elevates it and makes you like, oh, okay, this I know yeah. I know the music. Everything else is new and foreign and different. But I know uh, "Come and Get Your Love" by Redbone, and that's yeah, a great, great song. And I'm in. Scene. I'm, great I'm in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the move. One of the, the music opens. is a character. Don't get me wrong. The music is definitely a big character in the movie. So, yeah. Uh, so Guardians is my number three. So on to our number twos. John, um, we got a number two. This is probably going to be trumped. Inside Out. <sighs> Aaron forgot no. about it. Trumped. <laughs> <laughs> Like I can't. I had to do some considerations. We'll talk about why here in a second. Oh, but, uh, but yes, we'll talk about Inside Out for sure. Uh, Andrew, what's your number two? Infinity War. Oh yes, yes, good choice. I just had, choice. I just had to pick my favorite Marvel movie that had a blue Correct. person in it. Yes, so. there's always a blue person in a Marvel movie somewhere. It seems that yeah. <laughs> so your number two. Uh, my number two is Avatar. So we can talk about Avatar okay. now. John, you had it at number three. I had it at number two. Uh, I, actually, we already spent an hour I was, I was talking say, about let's just, Avatar. Let's just, so. do a, <laughs> let's just do Control C and Control V on what we talked about yeah. earlier. Uh, I mean, across the board, you know what we think about it. Uh, Natiri yeah. was a, a breakthrough character in in mocap and uh, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Avatar, uh, good stuff, good stuff. All right, on to our number ones. Uh, John, what is your number one? So I, I had to go with another Marvel movie with blue people, and that's the one I have hanging in my office here. Avengers Endgame. Uh, that was cathartic for me. I think uh, structurally and narratively, Infinity War might be the better picture, but I got more enjoyment from Endgame, and that's always going to be my number one of the MCU. Just fair. Uh, I mentioned fair. earlier, my absolute number one favorite movie moment ever is when Cap picks up that hammer. Yep. And, yeah, uh, makes sense. Gamora is not a main character in that one, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make that my pick. You mean Nebula? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Gamora. I'm thinking I have, I have Zoe Saldana on my brain, right? She's blue. That's true. Pick. That's true. We, green, we, blue. It's green, all yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nebula. I'm sorry, not Gamora. She's green. What do you got, uh, Andrew? Yeah, Andrew, what's your uh, number one? How is this not on anybody's list? Finding Nemo! Finding Nemo! It's my honorable mention. That would be like number six or seven for me. That's, that's This is close. the best Pixar movie ever made. Agree. Then why is it not on your list? Let's talk about it, shall okay. we? Okay. Uh, my top five would have been all Pixar. Uh, so did you, did you deliberately I, um, pick I only one? I deliberately only picked one Pixar movie and kind of listed them all. It's why I was pausing with Inside Out, because technically that's my second favorite Pixar movie. Uh, yeah, right. But it is you know, definitely in, in my Pixar list. I expected so. you to be one, two with Finding Nemo and Inside Out up top. And but. three would have been Soul, and five would have been Monsters, Inc. So, yeah. like, you know. It's <laughs> it a lot of blue characters, don't they? And we haven't even talked about Bugs Life. Uh, Hello, yeah. Flick. Uh, but uh, but yes, they do blue characters well. So let's talk about Finding Nemo since it is your number one, Andrew. Uh, I think that of all the um, uh, uh, Pixar movies, maybe besides with an exception of Wally, I think that this one has the most heart to it. Mm-hmm. The most uh, uh, universally accepted. There's no pre. Uh, what am I trying to say? There's no prerequisite to enjoying this one. Kind of like how we were talking about with the uh, the Avatar movies. You know, some of them hit harder if you're a parent or something like that. And while I think that uh, Finding Nemo does kind of hit hard if you're a parent, but there's also the parallel side of that, too, if you're a kid. Because we're getting two different stories in Finding Nemo. We're getting mm-hmm. Nemo's and then we're getting uh, uh, Marlin's uh, story Marlin, as well. So. Mm-hmm. Marlin's the wizard. 
<laughs> yeah, my, my love of Finding Nemo is well known. It is my favorite Pixar. In fact, it's one of my top five movies of all time. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think it is a perfect film. Uh, I, the story work is so incredible. It's laugh a minute. It's emotion a minute. It's, uh, you know, has in my mind the single best reunion scene in the history of cinema. Um, I just, I weep every time. It might be because I have four boys. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with it. But uh, the father-son stuff uh, is is always going to get me. I, I'm always blown away with Finding Nemo how many fully formed, fun, interesting characters there are in this movie. You've got the tank gang. Every member of the tank gang is interesting and, and fun and unique. And then you've got you know the primary characters of Dory. Marlon and Nemo. All of Pixar's them are fun, re- really interesting, been, and unique. Pixar's and, always been exceptionally well at quickly painting characters in a way that you connect with them, you get their traits, you get their tropes, and you're able to just slot them into where they need to be in the story and you yeah. run with it. Very, yeah. like, it's ex- it's expeditious storytelling, like 101, the way that they're able to handle that stuff. You've got the characters along the way, along the journey. You've got, you know, the teacher. You've got his friends. You've got the Bruce and his group. That's the support Hi, group. Bruce. You've got you. You've got uh, the turtle. Like it's it's <laughs> it's just it's amazing. Uh, so yeah, I love I love finding Mr. Mr. And then my my, my number father. two was uh, Inside Out, um, which right. I actually I think it was the first movie I reviewed here on Sif Pop when that oh. came out like eight years ago, whatever it was. Interesting. I think the first time I guessed it. So scroll way down on your podcast feed if you want to hear my (laughs) thoughts on that one. But uh, I think, I I don't think I've cried harder at a movie as an, as an adult than I did during Inside Out. Ooh, that would be a fun list to make the movies that made you cry the most. I I have, that's a list on my letterbox. Does it really? Made me cry. I recently added the Martian to it on a rewatch. One of those movies that I I saw before I had kids and after, and after I had kids, I was like, oh, this is, I'm actually choking up now. This is uh, this isn't fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Inside Out again. I've talked about it a lot. Yeah. Spectacular. Uh, the imagination. And it is it is a movie. It is one of their movies that they ha- held in development for a long time because they just weren't sure it could actually work. And uh, boy, does it work. Um, so yeah, well done to Pete Doctor and and everybody on Inside Out. Uh, and you are correct. That was your first time on the show. Uh, and if you were curious, uh, it was actually the third guest we, uh, Danae and I ever had on Sip right. Pop. So, I knew uh, that. so you've been here since the beginning, the beginning, uh, June of 2015, in fact. So, um, so yeah, uh, thanks for hanging out with us, John. That's You're very time. welcome. Do you remember what your second movie was? Uh, I think it might've been a fast and furious. No, Steve Jobs was the second really? time he came on the show. Yeah, huh. yeah. I don't remember talking about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember liking it. But uh, yes, and then of course, Soul Monsters Inc., Bugs, Bugs Life. I could talk about those too, but I'm not. Are there uh, any blue characters in Toy Story? Probably, um, but I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have considered them main characters. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. But there you go. Our top five uh, blue people movies. Uh, honorable mentions. I'll throw out mine real quickly. Mega Mind, I think, is worth a mention. That's a fun movie. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, the first one with Jim Carrey, I think, is really fun. Hellboy, uh, I think, is worth mentioning here. Uh, Abe Sapien, uh, yeah. blue character in that, and possibly uh, my favorite uh, X person 
is blue. That is Nightcrawler. And so I, I have I to. Gonna, it's not Mystique, is it? No. <laughs> no. There's actually several X people that are yeah. blue, but Beast my favorite. Works too? Uh, my favorite is Nightcrawler, and so yeah. I had to mention X2. Um, X2 so, has yeah. probably one of the best openings for any sci-fi so opening is ever. so good. The White House it's, scene with Nightcrawler. Yes. brilliant. Oh, oh it really my is good. God. I've also, I've also read some literature that suggests that particular security protocol, the way the Secret Service reacts to Nightcrawler's invasion, whatever you want to call it, is is the most realistic depiction of like how – the Secret Service works on site at the White House, which is oh, interesting. Th- that's interesting to me because I, I always love that, like, inside baseball government yeah. stuff. What else did you guys have in your honorable um, mentions? I misread the question, and I thought it was any character, so I included the that's fifth fine. element, which has a, yeah, a blue. Yeah, that would have been my top five. Uh, the fifth if, element has, a, I forget her name. She's one of you know, the singer. Diva Pava Laguna? Diva, yeah, maybe? Diva. That's it. Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah. Guardians Volume 1, either Yondu or, or um, mm-hmm. uh, what's her name? And, uh, yeah, everything else was mentioned. Yep. Um, Watchmen. Yeah, I just I don't like that movie very much. Uh, <laughs> it grows on me. It, it that would have made my list if I liked it. <laughs> no, honestly, the first time I saw the movie, I hated it. I really did. I still I still believe that it has the worst soundtrack of any movie ever made. Um, oh, that's interesting. It's it's really really bad. But the more I watch it, and being a uh, an apologetic fan of the source material, I think that that's you know keeping me. Granted, it's nowhere near as good as the uh, miniseries that HBO did. That's yeah. one of the best. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there we go. All right. Well, there you go. That is the best ever challenge. Let's move on to our buried treasure. Let's finish with uh, something we want to let people know about. Um, Jonathan, John, you are our guest, so you will go last. Uh, I'll kick us off, I guess. What you got? Um I watched Spirited on Apple TV Plus, which is the uh, Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell uh, Christmas musical, uh, yet another telling of the Ebenezer Scrooge story. And uh, I was like, what can you bring new to this story? And Spirited answered with, this is what we can bring new to this story. I love the world building in this. I really like the concept of what is going on here. I will spend... 90 minutes with Ryan Reynolds in just about anything. I just love hanging out with that dude in movies. He's so fun. His sense of humor is here. Will Ferrell's hit or miss for me. I haven't always been a, a, a Ferrell guy, but I think he's really well cast here for what he's doing, and uh, I find him interesting. Um, conceptually, uh, I think that uh, I don't think it's spoilery to say that we're dealing with the universe of. Ebenezer Scrooge as if it were a behind-the-scenes production company. That is really fascinating to me. So basically, I think, I think you may have just sold me on a movie I was kind of lukewarm about checking out. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I mentioned it then because yeah, basically the idea is that every year they pick a new person to turn, you know, to turn from – to redeem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that concept is really interesting both – narratively and thematically. So there's a lot of good stuff going on there. I won't spoil anything else about it. I will say Pasek and Paul do the music. If you know anything about the musicals I love, you know I love Pasek and Paul. Yeah. They are, I mean, they they have, and not that every Pasek and Paul movie is great because uh, I've purposely forgotten the name of the Broadway show that turned into a movie. Dear Evan Hansen. Yes, Evan Hansen. That's Basic and Paul, right? I, thought, I, I hope I'm so, getting yeah. that right. It is. The yeah. music is the best part of that, though. Like, they it are is. so good 
at at what they do and the music here is really fun is it memorable i'm not sure i'll have to watch it a few more times to see if it sticks but it is really fun the lyricism is really interesting and the melodies are really fun to listen to so in the production numbers in this are really big which i love as a musical guy so um so spirited i was not expecting to like this as much as i i did uh will it make my top movies of the year not sure maybe not but man did i love watching it so uh spirited is is my uh, very thank you for thank you for the recommendation because i had kind of uh, seen it? I should say I looked at it. And I was like, eh, I don't know about this one. And I'd heard some not great things about it, and I was going to pass. But I think uh, I think that might have bumped it up to try to watch before Christmas. Yeah, Andrew, I don't know if it'd be for you because it is straight musical, man. Like, and and I know that that's always your that, favorite though. thing. That so, great. Um, but uh, but yeah, Spirited is my buried treasure. Andrew, what do you got? Um, a buried treasure. I for, for my buried treasure, I picked. The most streamed TV show in the world. So, <laughs> sorry, Yellowstone. Uh, if you guys haven't seen Yellowstone, it's, I don't watch Yellowstone, I, but my parents I, I love so, it. <laughs> yeah, I hear so much about it. Yeah, I am shocked by the amount of parents that I hear love this show because it is—it's a boomer show. It really is. It's a boomer show, and that's okay. <laughs> which is fine, and that's not what I was. That su- surprises me about it is. The fact that this is kind of like a pretty brutal show, like it's it's a Montana mafia, pretty much like all the uh, the families in Yellowstone that try and protect their land from like a commercialization and stuff. And Kevin Costner's character, this whole family of the Duttons, they're not nice people. They're <laughs> very much uh, subjugation over. Uh, what am I trying to say? They're, they they will subjugate people and they will kill people and they will do just about anything awful to keep their land and stuff. Um, the show has, you know, sent off uh, some, uh, what do you call them? Uh, sub-shows? Is that what what they're called? Like, uh, this spin-off. says 1883, which is... Uh, spin-off. A spin-off, thank you. And they have the 1923, which is coming out pretty soon, the Harrison Ford one. Uh, 1883, by the way, even though it's not my buried treasure. Whew, that show was so good. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I really, really I, I keep do hearing, enjoy. Yeah. yeah, I keep hearing great things about this. And I've always been a Kevin Costner fan, so I, I think I might have to finally pull the trigger he, and invest five seasons into it. The character that he has decided that he's going to play for the rest of his career, you know, that that grizzled <laughs> old, yeah, you know, yeah, cowboy. He, is, play what you know. Yeah, it's, it's turned up to 11 in this one. And the supporting cast... Uh, Kelly Riley, Luke Grimes, Wes Bentley, and uh, Cole Hauser are just everybody's on the Ray game. I think every woman in the world wants to be Kelly Riley's character now, Beth Dutton, because she just she puts up with nothing from anybody. So yeah, that's my it's, buried quote unquote treasure. Taylor Sheridan, man, right? Like I, he's, he's got my number. How does he do everything he does? Like I just mind-blowing to me that he's doing all of this the yellowstone expanded universe yeah. the the movies he's still making um you know he's made some of my favorite movies of all time yeah. like or written some of my favorite movies of all time i should say and i think he's show running sylvester stallone's new fil- uh movie uh, show yeah, it's, uh it, tulsa king it's wild yeah tulsa it's king, wild which i hear it's is wild. actually pretty good yeah, it seems very much in the vein of if you like Yellowstone, well, what if it was in Oklahoma? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with Sylvester Stallone. Uh, John, what do you got for your buried treasure? 
Uh, again, no, I don't know if buried's the right word because apparently it was the number one. Um, we we gave up on it actually being buried a long time <laughs> yeah. ago. What do you want to recommend? Uh, um, a mobile game uh, called Marvel Snap, which has absolutely captured my attention and addictiveness over this past couple months. Uh, Aaron, I know you were fond of Adventure Capitalist a number of mm-hmm. years back. Yeah. You hooked me on that in a bad way, and I couldn't drop it for, like, months. I, it took me a long time <laughs> oh, to drop that addiction. This, this even more so. This is so addictive in a way that uh, uh, compels me to try to get in as many matches as I can. It's a um, turn-based uh, card-collecting strategy game. You play against other humans. You get a deck of 12 cards. You collect them. They're all Marvel characters, different abilities. You go to a game board, and you throw them down, and you have to compete who has the most power, who has the most energy. And there is something about every single time you play it, it's a unique experience because the board changes, the rules change, which characters you get change, how they interact changes. So there's so much strategy and gamemanship and predicting how is he going to play his card? What does he have up his sleeve? And like, oh, I, I need to have the Hulk show up in my turn six. Otherwise, I don't have enough. And there's, there's something so rewarding about like nailing the perfect move or getting the perfect hand and outwitting your opponent. And the best part... There are no ads. It is free to play, and there is no leveling up system that requires payment. So everyone, all oh, of the money, all they of the went money, like full no micro purchases. No, so. Well, there's micro purchases, but they're all cosmetic. They're for like different variants and different versions and colors mm. for your deck, but they don't actually help you play or help you level That's up any faster. Great. And I well love done. that. So you can play for a half an hour, not see a single ad. It is. I love it. It is. Such, if if you were into strategy games, you're into like turn based like deck-based uh, stuff. This is so much fun. It's crazy how much of a huge selling point that is with mobile games. Yeah. The idea that not only are there not I ads. Pay, I would pay for it. It's worth it, but completely free. Completely free, no ads, no uh, level-up purchases. Pay-to-play, like I think is the... Yeah, pay-to-play. Like, that's wild. That's wild. Um, so I wonder Marvel if that'll change. Snap, I would uh, biggest recommend for a mobile game. Nice. Okay. Interesting. Well, there you go. That's uh, Marvel Snap available on your app store. Uh, Yellowstone, which I think the first four seasons are on Peacock. Uh, season five, I believe, is on Paramount Plus, if That's I have right. that correctly. So uh, if you want to check out Yellowstone and Spirited is on Apple TV Plus. Well, we did it, guys. Uh, we talked about Avatar for an hour and then did other <laughs> stuff. Uh, congratulations to all of us. We went to Pandora and back. That's true. Uh, I cannot wait to go to Pandora again, again. Thanks so much for joining us today on Sip Hop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Well, thank you, buddy. Huge thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. And thank you to John Paula for coming in and hanging out with us today. Uh, John, where do you want to send people today? Uh, let's send them over to Letterboxd. I've been writing a lot this week. Get my full thoughts on Avatar and a few other recent releases there. J-O-N-P-A-U-L-A. Love to see you like and comment as I see it all. I went through Letterboxd uh, just a few weeks ago and unmarked all TV shows uh, that I had marked as watched because I realized it was kind of impacting my uh, stats in a way that made them a little less understandable to me uh, because it's not it's not how many movies I watch in the year if you include like limited series and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, one of those I, things. I, I count them. Mayor of Easttown yeah. is a great film. 
<laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Uh, yeah, check out uh, uh, John's Letterbox uh, or Aaron's for that matter. Thanks. Appreciate appreciate it. Yeah, feel free to follow me too. Let's go. Uh, thank you to our Sifpop members for making this possible. If you're curious, you can go to Patreon.com/Sifpop. Uh, starts at three bucks a month and some fun extra content there for our members. Uh, lots of ways to connect with us. Feel free to leave a comment, a rating, or a review at iTunes, uh, or I should say Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, uh, or you can email us, feedback at sifpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show, too, so let them know about it, and that listening is much easier than surviving the day when Natiri is on a rampage. Uh, we will be back next week with Bardo and White Lotus, uh, so we will see you then. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.